Welcome back to the Pod of Greed. That is right. Episode 25. If you can believe that. 25 episodes of this doesn't feel like we've done it. I'm going to be completely honest. Um, but we appreciate that you guys have stuck with us for this long. I think 25 is the most amount of things we've done on YouTube this year so far. Arguably. Uh, we've started some other stuff and it hasn't. We have not made 25 of those things. We've barely done three of things. Yeah, that's true. Um, <coughs> Sly for slackers. So That's why I said three. Yeah. Uh, but we do have a lot of cool Yu-Gi-Oh stuff this week. There's like lots of small little stories, I would say. Nothing super major, just things to go over. Um what's like top of top of mind? Age of Overlord? There was, was a sneak top peek. Top of mind with a GX thing. No, a five of these thing. Was it? I thought that was just a saying. Was an overmind. Anyway, what happened this week? Yeah, oh Age of Overlords. The sneak ah. peek was last weekend at least. So did not get to go to that. It's unfortunate. But Lame. um yeah, so, I mean, you know, we kind of knew what's in the set and what the cards were. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to get my hands on a box or two, maybe this week. What are you thinking? I mean, I definitely want to pick up some Age of Overlord, just because, um, as usual, I like a lot of the um, the kind of common and rare cards in the set. It's a lot of, like, one-off-y stuff, things that can fit into different decks. Um, but even some of the, the more, like, prominent, more meta-relevant cards are, are kind of cool in that set. The Diabell Star stuff, the Snake Eye stuff. I don't know why that that's like one archetype, but with two different uh, archetype names. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of Fallen of Albaz and how like it was just called yeah. Fallen of Albaz, it's, but then like there's kind of different archetypes and it ties into the archetypes. Which they better make good on that with this, and it, there better be a reason for it. Otherwise, it's kind of annoying. But I do like those cards. Uh, I like I, so I, I just think Age of Overlord's a great set. It's, it's our I think our first great set of the year. Yeah, probably so. It's and very I know refreshing. It's October, but still. Well, it's funny because I guess it's the last mainline set of the year as well. Oh, yeah, we don't fit one in until Yeah, Phantom January. Nightmare is not until like January, February, something like that. Which, speaking of that, I mean, I guess that's where a lot of the news itself has kind of transitioned to just more reveals from Phantom Nightmare. I'm going to go crazy on Phantom Nightmare. Nightmare. Yeah, there's a few cool things in I there. I buy a case or two. I think we mentioned the Gate Guardian thing last week, right? Yeah. So there's some other new ones. Um,. There's that new quick play spell for Visa Starfrost. Um, the, or it's not for Visa Starfrost. It just has uh, the Samsara um, Visa monster and Rykart. Yeah. He's kind of like extending a hand to Rykart as if to say, like, you know, let's, uh, like, let's work together again. Let's get back into the fight. It's a quick play spell. Um, let your opponent, like, if your opponent gets rid of one of your monsters or whatever, you can conduct your battle phase twice. I don't know that it's really like a meta thing, oh, but it's God, a cool no, thing. No. If that showed up in the meta, that would be toxic. It would be that would be so toxic if someone figured out a way to consistently pull off two battle phases. Yeah, um, and it reminds me of like Valkyries. It reminds me of um, other gimmick things. Like I don't know how you're going to really set this off like on your own. I you guess you have to be able to. Then again, Konami loves just making ways to like summon cards to your opponent's field. Make your opponent activate effects, you know? Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, also, Sebek's Blessing got a Link monster. So you that's can't just a, say Sebek's Blessing. Like people remember what that is. Yeah, it's an old one. This old quick play spell where um, if one of your monsters inflicts battle damage to your opponent, then you gain that many life points. And for some reason, there's a big old alligator on it. No idea why. There just is one. Yeah, so now we have the Sorcerer guy. He's a Link, too. And, uh, is the Sorcerer an alligator? I don't remember the card artwork. 
the sorcerer here, I got it right here, is I almost think They're he's like wearing green. the alligator the alligator skin. Ooh. Oh, well, you know, people wear like crocodile skin or whatever. Ooh. I, mean, I mean, I don't, but um, yeah, so it's kind of got a similar effect where if it or one of your other monsters inflicts damage, you can gain those life points. Then if either player gains life points, you can make the other player take damage. So I have no idea what you're gonna do with that. Yeah, I don't know. It seems extremely niche and extremely like trick stars. Throw back, but I mean, trick stars inflict damage. So this thing is oh, no, trying to have that. you like gain it so that you can then inflict it. But they wouldn't be able to make you gain it. Yeah, I don't know how. See, I don't like cards like that because um, well, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with the card. I think it's a very true Yu-Gi-Oh card. But for today's game, a card that its whole effect it just doesn't happen unless some other, other thing, thing happens. happens that it doesn't enable. Yeah, those are typically hard to really do like, much with. In the way Yu-Gi-Oh is played right now, you want to set that card up, you will win or lose the game before that happens. Yeah, there's also EMP Gremiaud. It's like it's got IP Mascarena, that's why everyone's been freaking uh, out about yeah. this. The uh, little grenade. Uh, yeah. Like grenade meow, something like that. Yeah, it can summon itself if there's a link monster, and then whenever a link monster goes to the grave or gets banished, you can um pop a or bounce a card in the field of the hand. So it's kind of just a really will probably end up just being another like cybers. I mean mechanic thing. Well, I don't think it has to it's not even limited to cybers, right? I mean Yeah, any deck could use it. If you use Link Monsters, it's actually a pretty it's like, it's solid a, it's thing. It's a generic card. I mean if the EMP I mean if not EMP, if the uh oh, I What are they the called? The IP? Uh, if IP and SP wasn't already kind of a broken little combo that people were doing. You add this to that. Now yeah. you're going to you get to, you get to remove three cards. Yeah. For that play instead of just two, which was already, you know, people are already going crazy cuz we used to what? We used to make nightmare unicorn and get rid of one. Yeah. Uh people have been really talking about how that new SP card is supposed to be like and the new nightmare unicorn thing. SP, does it it bounces the cards? I think it banishes. Whew. Yeah, I think it banishes the cards. I have not read its specific effect like recently, but yeah, it, it's really good. Like this um, little guy could be just like maybe the first like generic extender for... that like we might that sees wide play in a while. Probably so. Um, and then also, I mean, like it's in within a cybers deck, it's actually going to be kind of insane. Easy summon requirement, cybers typing. Bouncing, it's like good for I guess breaking boards. Like if you go second, that would be the because like you know you can use it like link it off and then um bounce a card and then have like SP like banish cards. It'd just be really great for like kind of working through a board is what comes to mind for me at least. Like I hope that uh, it's just a common card when it releases. It just it has common card energy. Yeah, but for sure. It seems so generic and possibly just useful in so many scenarios. Maybe a super rare. It might get bumped up a few rarity spots. It seems like it reminds me of that card, like Link Apple. Oh no! Okay, it's not Link Apple. I mean, it looks like Link, Link Apple's Apple, way sort of. more niche, like more sort specific. Of. I see Link Apple get played sometimes, but but it's only in like combo decks. But yeah, that's probably where this will be too. I mean, but but it only requires a Link two. I mean, you can play so all all decks play Link Twos. Yeah, well, there's other cards too. There's this uh, Winged Karibo level six, 
and Shining Star Dragon, both revealed as part of the OCG Quarter Century Duelist box. They're, they're cards. I remember I looked at them. I immediately appreciated the fact that the uh, Karibo looked like a flame wingman, and yeah. I closed the tab because Karibo cards are bad. Yeah, well, apparently it's treated as an elemental hero and a favorite card, so I think that there's supposed to be some synergies there. You can summon it pretty easily. Um, hmm. What do you mean it's treated as an Yeah, it says, this card is always treated as an elemental hero and a favorite card. And you summon it by banishing an elemental hero fusion monster or wing Kribo from hand, field, or grave. And then when an opponent's monster declares an attack or activates a monster effect on the field, you contribute this card, destroy that monster, and inflict damage to your opponent. Equal to traditional attack. Are you seeing something there? So that card is searchable in multiple ways. Yeah. It gets to the field really easily because you can just banish a hero from your grave. That's like nothing. I like how you're like learning in real time. Like 30 I, seconds ago, you're like, yeah, I forgot about this card. It's a Grebo. It sucks. But it's crazy. It could, because it's a hero, that means you can use it for those generic hero uh, fusion monsters. That's true, actually. Or even it can a be link material. monster because it's a hero monster. So Yeah. Huh. And it can summon itself from, from your hand or your graveyard. So, like, if you use it as fusion material or something, it still can also just Does come it out get again. Banished? Does it get banished when it, like, leaves the field after using that effect? Or no? no. It can just keep doing this. It's I, very... I completely <laughs> retract my statement. Yeah, Alec is learning I, in real I time. I like this card. There's also Shining Star Dragon, which is a, uh, it's sort of a Crimson Dragon thing. Um, it's a hand trap of sorts. So during your opponent's main phase, if it's in your hand, you can target a dragon synchro in your grave, summon this, summon the dragon synchro, its effects are negated, and then mm-hmm. immediately synchro summon. So because it's level four, my assumption is that it's meant to just make a crimson dragon in your opponent's turn. Right, because most of the cyanide dragons are level eight. So you just and then the dragon that you summon can't be destroyed by battle. So since you're doing it in your opponent's turn, kind of makes sense. Is crimson dragon's effect a quick effect? Uh, I would not know. I think I have one actually conveniently right here, though. So I can read it. This card gives me flashbacks to um, Stardust combos. I've had to run through so many of those lately. Yeah, I mean, it could... Yeah, it affects a quick effect. Oh, okay. All right, So you get a spell or trap, you get a little quick effect. Now, what's important to remember remember with this card and with Crimson Dragon is these cards by them... This card by by itself doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to have a Synchro Monster in your graveyard, so you have to be like... Your turn has passed. You've done some type of combos. You've got something on field. Crimson Dragon doesn't actually net you any new monsters it trades out monsters uh, yeah sign dragons for other dragons so you it, it does ask for a bit to like be in play like this is definitely more of like anime deck energy mm-hmm. not exactly like is it limited in what it can summon or can it just synchro summon it, can, it just says you just synchro summon one dragon synchro using this card you control so in theory you could actually it's probably a way to break you that. could get a Signer Dragon and not use it as material. You could use this and synchro summon something else that's on your field. And, so, it is, and it says it can just get any Dragon Synchro from your grave? Any Dragon Synchro monster. There's probably... There's probably some 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 BS. There's probably something to do with Running Rose Dragon. Because whenever I look at uh, like Synchro combos that are more like Signer-ish, Ruddy Rose Dragon is like the one. So there's probably something there. Yeah, I feel like there's synergies and I am not big-brained enough to find them. You played Rose Dragons. I tried to play rose dragons it 
I wanted to build rose dragons, but then Konami took forever to print the rose cards I wanted. Yeah, they took their time with that. I hate when Konami does that, where it, like it's um the rose dragons were printed in like just they would you get like a new rose dragon like mm-hmm. a year it felt like because there's like white rose, red rose. There's blue rose, which and came like, out before white. Blue rose. rose was like the very first one, but that was like. Not even really related to the archetype, but then there's a, there's rocks rose, rocks rose. So those are like the three, and they came out at different times. And one was like a V jump card, and it just made it where like building the deck felt like waiting for Christmas stuck twice. Nightmare. Yeah. And Crystal Rose is not a rose card, or not that kind of rose card. And then one of them's like limited now. Rocks rose, I oh, believe. Yeah, one of them is limited. Yeah, red rose or rock rose. One of them is like limited to one. So it's just, it's kind of funny because like the rose dragon deck alone is not by any means, you know. It'd always be a funky deck because they're dragons, but they work with plants, and the two things don't really mix. Yeah, like, I mean, not kinda not do. naturally. I think it just kind of ended up being like a pile deck slash dragon link. But that black garden cool. stuff you can do with the uh, Rose Maiden is fun. So another little interesting piece of news was that New York Comic Con happened this past weekend. I wanted to go. Yeah, I wanted to go as well. Uh, we were not able to, unfortunately. But um, there was some Yu-Gi-Oh! sort of news there of sorts. Because Konami was there and they had their booth. And so they, they'll always have these products on display mm-hmm. of like upcoming stuff. And so um, I remember the previous weekend was how the Fire King structure deck got like leaked, sort of the the deck list of oh, it. Yeah, we saw more of that too recently. Yeah, that was at the that was at like that toy fair that was the weekend before. I want to say mm-hmm. so people leaked that. Well, here we got to see a little bit of Battles of Legend Chapter One, which is this. Do you remember how they did the what was the, the other chapter one they did the the legendary duelist one? Yeah, they did the legendary duelist chapters like one, two, and three. They also did Dual Terminal Chapter 1. It was like the beginning of last year, I want to say. So, we're essenti- so this is now going to be a trend of reprinting the kind of side sets? Yeah, re- so basically all these side sets that they've just done for like several iterations, I guess they eventually will just be like, okay, here's a Chapter 1. And we'll just take a lot of the crucial cards from old iterations of that set and put them into a new set and then release it and watch as it... Probably isn't the most popular thing, but like, are they going to release any new cards in these sets? Don't know. Um, the general summary says it brings an encore performance for many of the most popular cards in Battles of Legend: Light's Revenge, Relentless Revenge, Heroes Revenge, and Armageddon, plus related cards from other past releases. They don't name what. Hmm. Um, and then fit some stuff in there is what I hear. Another crack at the unearthly astral language version of Number Thirty Nine Utopia. Now, um, that's a card I want in my collection. I yeah, so that's a pretty cool one. Those. So it sounds like there's probably not going to really be anything new here, though. Just um, That's not a good sign, only because I think Battles of Legend got worse. Like, as over a new, time. Every time. Every new one was a little bit worse than the last one. And that's not to say, like, they were all bad. I actually really liked the first couple Battles of Legend sets. It's just, over time... It was a downwards trend. Yeah. I don't know exactly what went wrong. I mean, I feel like the very... Was Minerva in the very first one? That might have been the very first one. I remember Minerva was a really big deal in one of them. Minerva was a big deal. um, Because that was like its first time being reprinted outside of like the prize card thing. So that was a pretty big deal. They... Typically the Battles of Legends sets would always... Give me the names again. I'm trying to remember them all properly. It's um, Light's Revenge, which was the first one. Yeah, that was the first. Relentless Revenge. Relentless Revenge. 
Is it Heroes Revenge next? Then Heroes Revenge and then Armageddon. Oh, so I know okay. that the Chaos right. Emperor Dragon Armageddon like retrain came mm-hmm. in one of them. That was was that in Armageddon? Armageddon, Armageddon. Yeah, that came out in one of them alongside the other dragon retrains, like Dark Armed of like Armed Dragon of Dark. Oh, we and don't talk about that. Like that whole mm-hmm. yeah those the, that whole thing. Like Ice Revenge was good. Like most of them tend to be pretty good sets. It's just like they're more so anime sets, and I think people forget that because like really it's just importing weird different anime cards. Yeah. What it seems like they've been sort of basically basically they were Animation Chronicle from the OCG. They would do Animation Chronicle and like kind of turn it into Battles of Legend. It seems now though that they have changed that to Maze of Memories, and like next year we're getting a new Maze of Memories set called like. Mix of memories or something like I it's don't a new love the like the product design or not the product design. It's kind of the marketing, like the structure of it. Of, yeah, the marketing structure of products right now. It's very ob- our main series sets are very obvious. They have a certain naming convention that, that is used. They have a certain look. I get it, but we have multiple side set series. And it's not readily apparent What's what the what? like theming is, like what what separates a maze of memories from, from a battles of legend. What separates that from like I don't quite understand it. So my understanding with like the Yu-Gi-Oh thing is that they basically have like slots for products. So there's always like a spring reprint set and like mm-hmm. a fall reprint set typically, and there's also always like the legendary duelist thing, and there's like the um. What are the like the side sets like grand creators and mm-hmm. like those sorts of things, plus the four main sets and like they kind of just seem to be slotted in throughout the year. But lately they've been kind of just jumbling it all up a little bit. Like my impression of this is that Battles of Legends probably just going to be ending. Like this is probably the last Battles of Legend. Like this is a reprint of the previous ones, and they're probably not going to be doing it anymore because it looks like Maze of Memories is what. It would be weird to do these kind of reprints of Battles of Legend and then make a new Battles of Legend after. Yeah, it'd be a little strange. But I mean, I guess they technically kind of did that with Legendary Duelists because they did like Chapter One, Two, and Three, but they're still doing new Legendary Duelist sets. So you know what? Someone someone's actually told me something interesting recently, and I've been told this before, so it's not that surprising. Was they actually really like those types of sets? Mm-hmm. Um, as a casual Yu-Gi-Oh enjoyer, they could buy those. They would get a diverse amount of cards, and then they get a little die. And they felt like that's more rewarding as a casual Yu-Gi-Oh player than trying to buy like actual like packs of Yu-Gi-Oh cards, mm-hmm. because you buy the packs. They're much more limited in what you can get. And in in order to actually like build off of what you pull in in a, in a main series set, you're gonna have to invest a little bit of money, and there's no extra like anything attached to that. Well, so speaking of the dice, actually, we did get the preview of the dice. There's Judgment Dragon. I'm just gonna kind of show you the picture. I'll try to remember to put it on the podcast. There's Judgment Dragon. I want it. Cyber Dragon. Want it. Elemental Hero Stratos. Need it. What looks like Blackluster Soldier. Need it. Um, that's number. That's big Whatever eye. big guy, number eleven big guy. I don't know what this middle card is. That looks like Gabumon. Yeah, it does. It looks like it's got a little horn. <laughs> I, don't I don't know which one that I'm is. I'm not sure what that one is. But yeah, so that's the dice. I'm so I have mixed opinions on that on that thought that you've mentioned. Um, I think the dice are a good call. They they do seem like they kind of just make these feel a little more fun to buy. I think it's like a bit of a collection product because there's like what six different types of dice. Like usually they hide that. a seventh one that you don't that they don't like advertise and it's like the rare one. They've already done Dark Magician Girl. I'm not sure. 
what they what going to do here. I mean, is there a theme? Do you really do you see a theme in this? Well, it's Battles of Legend Chapter One, so I think they just took like an iconic card from each. Because like I remember, Stratos came in like Heroes Revenge was like a reprint. Right. Cyber Dragon was in one of them. Um, Judgment Dragon got like its retrain in one of is them. That Judgment Dragon at the bottom. Yeah. It's, well. At the bottom, I'm, I know what this monster oh, is. No, like a, Dragon up here. Yeah, Judgment Dragon to the top. I don't know what this little blue monster is. I'm going to have to look it up. But yeah, I mean, you know, I I think that I've never liked buying these because I find that the sets tend to be large and it's hard to get like a consistent set mm-hmm. of things. But because they are so anime inspired, I see why a casual kind of just player might find more fun in it because it's just such a mix. Right. Whereas like a mainline set, like let's take Age of Overlord. I mean, there's, like, four archetypes, right? Like, if you're into Horus, good. If you're not, then eh. And if you're if into, you are into it, you're going to have to... Yeah, you might shell out. That might be a pricier one. There's TG. There's, like, Diabell Star slash Snake Eye. And, like, I think that's it. There's, like, one other archetype that's, like, kind of majorly in there. But if you don't like that, like, those archetypes or whatever, it might be harder to feel like... You're getting, and and those archetypes, those the cards are new. They're expensive, and they're hard, they're they're hard to pull. So you're not just gonna, you can't pull a Snake Eyes or Diabella Star deck. You're not gonna pull a Horus deck. Yeah. With the um with the Battles of Legends stuff, while yeah they're diverse, and you won't pull. You're probably not pulling the deck out of out of um the package, but getting the rest of the cards is super easy because nobody wants it. Yeah, that's true. I do think with these Battles of Legend things, they typically don't have super expensive cards. I mean, there might be like the one sort of chase thing, but... um, Just to get the rest of us to buy it. Yeah, but yeah, usually there, there isn't too much to speak of. Um, So yeah, that was basically what was at New York Comic Con. I think there was also sort of a... We got a little bit of a look at the two-player starter deck. It was like a page out of the oh, comic I book. Oh, I saw that. I was a little disappointed. I won't lie to you. Disappointed? What do you mean? It... So it was described as a comic book to uh, follow, follow along to like learn, um, how, to learn play. how to play Yu-Gi-Oh. Like a scripted and duel. I was kind of an idiot. And I had, um, you know, I read a lot of comic books and I read a lot of manga. And so I had like Higher a hopes. manga in my mind. You thought they were going to do a manga. So for those of you, okay, wait, just to fill in like audio listeners and all that stuff. So yeah, the two player star deck is coming out next year. It's supposed to come out this year. got delayed. Um, and it's supposed In to fact, come with like it's a, supposed to come out next week. That's true, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it got delayed, and it was the, one of the big selling points was that it was going to have the scripted duel with what they called like a like comic, comic book. book that you could follow along with. And what we saw was not exactly a comic book. How would you describe it? Uh, it's a comic book in the loosest term. Um, imagine you're in middle school. And you're and you just learned how to use um, what what was it called? Um, Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft Word. Mic- not not Word. The other one, the one that you could use to make a publisher. publisher. PowerPoint. Oh yeah, publisher. Pu- you okay. just learn how to use publisher, and you want to make your own comic. That's what it looked like, but with it's got the like Vagabond dual links assets. Yeah, the, the those dual links generic characters, the Vagabond or whatever, like the faceless guy with the blue cap, faceless mm-hmm. guy with the red cap. I mean. I, I think as long as it does its job of teaching, I'm okay with it. Yeah, it's fine. I just you thought, thought you wanted more. I thought I think of OCG structures that manga series, and I I was 
Yeah, you know what's so interesting is they put so much more effort into that, but it feels like this is strictly just to like complete its task of telling you everything about the game. Well, I think you know OCG structures is made in Japan, you know, in the OCG, and this is made in the West in the TCG. Yeah, it's and much so more like that's what you get. Oh yeah, OCG structures is the the Japanese sort of Yu-Gi-Oh side manga thing that yeah. just has play, it, where like there's characters who play. Modern day decks. Mm-hmm. It updates you around the time when a uh, new product releases in the OCG, and they'll the characters will they'll play with new decks from those from those uh, sets, and it's actually really well made. Yeah, well, now, but I'm not gonna shade this product too much. I was under the wrong impression here. I mean, I'm still excited for said product. So it has Zeus in it. You know, yeah, it's got Zeus, got the Manadium oh, guy, Prime Heart. I'm over here thinking about who's oh, got, got a reprint of Zeus. I mean, there's got to be something decent in it. I'm I'm Ooh, interested in just seeing what's like. The, you what? You don't want the synch- like Zeus, Zeus. in these? It'll probably still be ultra rare. Oh, I hope so. I would assume. I think com- Zeus looks a little too cool to be if like. If I common. ever see a common Zeus, I might not be. Yeah, okay. Reminds me, have we heard any more about that Zeus model kit? No. Um. Yeah, I have kept up uh, paying. I've been paying attention. So right now we just know that it is coming, and I don't even know if I think we know MSRP, but that's it. Okay. Well, it, I don't remember it being very expensive. Here's another interesting little Yu-Gi-Oh story. Um, this is actually from a couple of weeks ago, uh, and we just didn't really cover it. Yu-Gi-Oh Go Rush confirmed by Konami Cross Media. Now this is like a weird one because so... basically. Um, Mark Kirk of Konami Cross Media New York confirms that his company has multiple Yu-Gi-Oh! series to offer, including the new entry Yu-Gi-Oh! Go Rush. Mr. Kirk explains that the audience for the franchise has never been stronger, and the new entry includes new monsters and new powerful spells, and that this is the 25th anniversary of the trading card game. Time out, time out, time out. Yeah. Um, this, okay, I, if you're confused... I am too, because the way this has been reported, and I checked multiple outlets that were like reporting on this, they all report it in just the same way, which is that 4K Media just released a statement saying, we have, and I'm literally like using that word in the only way that I, we have Yu-Gi-Oh! Go Rush. But even before that, I'm stuck on the, I think the first sentence you said. Mm-hmm. What do they mean? They have multiple, multiple Yu-Gi-Oh series to offer. Yu-Gi-Oh series. Well, so my understanding of that is just that they just mean they have multiple Yu-Gi-Oh animes. They, they, what else is there? Like the other animes. Oh, the older. Anime. Yeah, like Brains and oh. Arc. For those who don't know, uh, 4K Media, like Yu-Gi-Oh or Konami Cross Media New York, which I think used to be called 4K Media, that's but that's like, the ones that copyright thing. strike it. Yeah, I have a funny story about that. I'm going to say it actually <laughs> in a, here in a sec, but um. They're, they're like, not the Konami that handles anything with the card game. They nope. just handle, like, anime and, like, merchandising stuff is my kind of Though understanding of that. I think they were involved with, like, Shonen Jump promos at one point. I think that, yeah. And so they, I guess, would be the people to announce that there's, like, a new a Yu-Gi-Oh! anime. So I think what this means is that Yu-Gi-Oh! Go Rush is getting a dub. I mean, that's fire. I hear good things about that. So I don't know, you know, who all the the voice actors and stuff will be or when it will be. No, it won't be me. Is it going to be on TV, I wonder? I hope so. Because Sevens was on Cartoon Network, right? I know Sevens got a a slot on something. 
Let's, okay, well, I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't seen it. I don't know, but I know it, it got dubbed and it like is on TV, so kids can I'll see say this. it. If Gold Rush gets greenlit for a dub, I will start and finish the Seven's dub. Okay, I will do it. It sounds like from this that it's getting a, a dub because that that doesn't sound like a green light to me though. That just sounds. It like sounds like they're just saying like it exists. It's po- It's very possible. I mean, what they really need to be doing is like telling us when they're going to release. Like just rush duel, like physically, because uh, that's what it everybody is seems physically. to want. Your phone is a physical object. <laughs> yeah, you can, physically you can play download duelings. <laughs> <play and laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so here's a funny story about Mark Kirk of Konami Cross Media in New York. Um, since Alec brought it up, I suppose I'll share it with you guys. It's a uh, there's a lot to unpack here, but I think you guys are all old enough to hear it. So, um, Mark Kirk, I guess it's like. Head of Konami Cross Media New York, or they, their spokesperson, or we heard from him. whatever. The point is, like a long time ago, like in 2014 or something. That was young I, 2014, 2015. I got a copyright strike on a random YouTube video that we had done. It might have been like a Let's Play episode of one of those old games or something. I got a copyright strike from like Konami Cross Media, and so the email address that it told me that I could contact, I was like Konami Cross whatever at something.com. and so like I emailed them. And uh, this guy, Mark Kirk, responded. And he was super nice, by the way. And he was just like, yeah, our, our system flagged this. And he told me all of the, this long list of, like, rules and stipulations mm-hmm. for, like, if you want to feature Yu-Gi-Oh! anime episodes and YouTube videos. And it was basically, like, you can't feature more than, like, two minutes and 40 seconds worth of, like... Of any of, one episode. Of any one episode or something. and Or else that'll, like, flag its system. And um, he got the copyright strike removed. It was cool. It was just one of those, like, panicky moments. Because, like, if you get a copyright strike on YouTube, it's a pretty big deal. Because, like, three strikes and your channel's automatically gone. That's why they're strikes. So, you know, and obviously, like, YouTube, they take them pretty seriously. So, like, people can't do, like, just... Well, they've, they've been bad actors in the past who've done, like, fraudulent strikes. So those usually get... The point is, it's like, it was a kind of crazy thing, but Mark Kirk is, uh, I've actually spoken to this guy who says that they have Go Rush. I, I remember this, I, I remember this time because we were all younger, dumber, and more, um, we, we had no, we had no understanding really of how Yu-Gi-Oh worked and ownership and whatnot. Yeah. I remember we, we talked about this and we're like, so Konami Cross Media, they're the guys that like. That are in charge of the anime. It's not like Konami Digital. Yeah. And when you talk to Konami Cross Media, it's not the same thing as talking, talking to, to Konami yeah. Digital. Yeah. So everybody assumes it's different things. That's actually a, like a whole kind of almost tangent. Really, is just like so many players are unaware that Konami, like the Konami that's making the latest set or whatever, mm-hmm. really has nothing to do with like. Give me a new episode. Give like finish dubbing Yu-Gi-Oh! Five D's last season, or you know what I mean? Oh yeah, like, oh, like the GX or like season. the GX last yeah. season. And people will say like stuff like this, and I'll see them on like social media posts under the official Yu-Gi-Oh! TCG account, being like, "Bring back like like make you like finish for the Five D's dub," you know, because like the English dub didn't have like, the last half of the last season, something like that. And people are just like yelling about this stuff or like reboot Yu-Gi-Oh! like Duelist Kingdom. It's like Konami like literally can't do that. that. That's not even like their jurisdiction. Like I mean, there's a reason why there's two different YouTube channels for Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah. There's like <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh! and there's like Yu-Gi-Oh! TCG. And honestly, that's why they've added so much of that stuff onto the cards. Like the little copyright section. It's like oh, yeah. copyright studio dice, which was like Kazuki Tak or is Kazuki Takahashi's like studio. I don't know like the current status of it, but like 
Studio TV, Dice. Studio, Studio Dice, TV Tokyo, Shueisha, and Konami. And so, like, all of them kind of just own different parts of the Yu-Gi-Oh! pie. Yeah, the so. Yu-Gi-Oh! franchise is a pie. They all have different parts of it. And um, there, I don't think anyone's actually in charge of, like, the entirety of it. Yeah, I know, like, there's probably... My suspicion is that I think Shueisha gets, like, final say in most things. <clears throat> but, like, different ones just control different things. And I think that's probably why so little is able to radically change with Yu-Gi-Oh! quickly. Like, they can't, like, kind of just up and make a new, like, movie or, like, change something drastic with the way the card game's marketed or something. Because, like, all of these different parties have to probably agree on it and, like, someone's probably got to gripe about it. if if there was someone actually in charge of the whole, Mm -hmm. they would, that they could like whip Yu-Gi-Oh into shape if someone actually had that ability. But I just feel like right now no one has that. Everyone's power. kinda got a little It's more democratic. Well when you say whip Yu-Gi-Oh into shape, that suggests that there's something wrong. There's nothing wrong with Yu-Gi-Oh except if you look except at everything. any <laughs> other franchise and then you're like, oh I mean I do sometimes get the impression here. that like Yu-Gi-Oh's not always on the same like page. Like you know what I mean? Like sometimes like the animes are airing at different times <laughs> than when like their accompanying products are coming out. Like, I remember that kind of started around, like, Arc 5, and like where the anime products were sort of desynchronized with the releases, and then Brains never got a dub, but it was still getting, like, The you know. first time I think I noticed, like, a desynchronization was Zexel, I want to say. I th- I want to say we got the... Xyz Monster started showing up before the Zexel anime aired. Well... I don't think I think Zexel was the last one that was on time. You think it was? Synchro? I think it was because I remember people I mean, would I talk a lot. To be about fair, it. I didn't actually watch Zexel when it released. I might be off, but I thought it was a, a decent. I think it was like the last time that it was more or less on sync. But I think I just remember Arc Five distinctly being like, "Oh, Arc Five was a oh, just kind of it, it aired off. at a different time." So yeah, I mean, I know there's like a lot going on in the Yu-Gi-Oh office room. <laughs> You but, mean um, office rooms? Yeah, the mini office rooms and Skype calls or something. I don't know. But uh, one last... Old. We're talking about some Skype. Nobody uses that anymore. Yeah, I actually... Okay, I accidentally said Skype call once to somebody like a couple weeks back. I was like, yeah, like we can just get hop on a Skype call. I was like, oh my God, how old am I? It's like, hey, you know what? Why don't you send me your AOL instant messenger while you're at it? I'll add you on my MySpace. Listen, dude, people, you know, people say you're an old head if you talk about Skype, but like Skype walks so Discord could run. Wow. Like, seriously. I mean, we would not have a Discord if it we wasn't We wouldn't for... have Italian Tifa memes if it wasn't for Discord. What has Skype given us? Was the Italian Tifa thing from a Discord call? I think it was Discord call. I thought it was a Zoom thing. Wait, was it a Zoom? I mean, probably. Oh, it probably was a Zoom, huh? Whatever happened to Zoom? You don't hear about that too much anymore. I guess the pandemic ended, so Zoom ended. Yeah, Zoom probably ended. I hear that... I mean, I think that, like, basically Microsoft Teams and, like, Google Hangouts or Google Meet or whatever started adding more features and, like, caught up. Because Zoom popped off in pandemic. Right. A lot of things did. I know it's like a huge tangent, but I just... like it's Though it is weird how many things started and have now kind of disappeared since the pandemic. Card game boom. Like, a lot of li- little companies... Like, because, I mean, Zoom literally just... It's... Okay. This is such a tangent. But this is interesting <laughs> because it's like, where did Zoom really come from? Like, because if you think about it, right, so pandemic hits. Everyone's kind of got to stay home. Kids can't go to school. You can't go to work. Companies kind of have to, like, try to do all their stuff remote. But, I mean, like, Discord and stuff was already around. And, like, Microsoft, 
I want to say like it still had like like there was like still other ways to video chat. Like why did I Zoom suddenly? Zoom got social media buzz. It became kind of a fad. Yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, they marketed aggressively and quickly. They got they got taken into the mainstream. When your parents start talking about things, you know it's mainstream because they yeah. don't know what the internet is like. Mm-hmm. So they 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 shot up really fast, and now we don't really need it anymore. Anywho, well, we've got a final, um, a final Yu-Gi-Oh story. Oh. Maybe you've heard about this one. Fighting game pros Justin Wong and Vicious face off in Yu-Gi-Oh as part of new official deck flexing series. This comes from Event Hubs. Paul, 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 we can't talk about that. What are you doing? Yeah, so, um, if you grew up in the early to mid-2000s or even beyond and ended up getting into fighting games, there's a pretty strong chance you followed Yu-Gi-Oh at some point, too. Two of the biggest names in fighting games with multi-game Evo champion Justin Wong and top commentator Jeremy Vicious Lopez were recently featured on the official Yu-Gi-Oh! channel to compete against each other in a new Master Duel deck flexing series with the help of Yu-Gi-Tubers Team APS. Never heard of those guys. So, um, yeah. Before what are you reading? This is an, uh, this is an article from a Someone Hubs. wrote about this? Yeah, someone wrote about this. Hey, let me see. I mean, it's just I have it on like. They on put my, my name in there? Is my name in there? No. Wow. Just, it just says Team FPS. Yeah, um, so for those of you guys who didn't know, yes, the deck flexing series, the first episode went up um, mm-hmm. went up last week, and there's a new episode coming out tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? I guess for them it'll Yeah, be for today. when you guys are watching this, it'll be tomorrow. It'll be, oh, okay, so Friday. for us, it's two days from now. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Yeah, but uh, this episode was uh, Jay Wong and Vicious. The theme was, it was just classic, classic decks. duels, classic decks. Yeah, I without spoiling anything, I will say, watch it if you haven't. It was, it was good. Probably my favorite episode. I think it just, it had the most, like, it was the very classic um, back-and-forthy mind games. At the time, I believe we were fresh off of... Um, off of uh, Rare Hunters. Yeah. And so getting to see classic Yu-Gi-Oh! being played, it, it felt really good. And let me just say, uh, Jay Wong and Vicious played an epic game. Yeah, very good game of Yu-Gi-Oh! I have to say. Um, so yeah, just watch it. And of course, watch this week's episode. It's an anime-themed one with two VTubers, in fact. So. It was uh, Rosemi Lovelock. Yeah, and, and um, Dopio Dropside. That's it. Dopio, Dopio, yeah. Dopio. I forget. I think it's Dopio Drop Scythe. Look, Drop Scythe, yo. Just check them out. It's going to be a YouTube. good episode. They're on YouTube. Check them out. I think they're both Niji Sanji VTubers. Yeah, Niji Sanji. Sounds Ian, about right. I believe. Um, important part to mention. So, yeah, I, I didn't know that about like VTubers. They're all kind of just, not all, but like many are, many of the largest ones are like basically kind of under corporate, not corporate, like groups, the, labels. Yeah, they have, they, in a sense, they're labels. Yeah. Uh, there are large VTuber agencies mm-hmm. like V Shoujo, Niji Sanji. Uh, there's another one that I'm forgetting about, but um, yeah, they under and then they're separated by region. Mm-hmm. So you'll have like Niji Sanji JP for Japanese and Niji Sanji EN for English. Just so you know, like what you're looking at and who you what what you're gonna ex- what you can expect language wise. Even though I've noticed a lot of VTubers seem to be able to speak both languages, I think Not, that you would probably need to be like just. To have the larger appeal, like so you I can kind of does help speak to to have that like the cross promotion going. Speak to like multiple audiences and stuff, because then you can collab with the Japanese VTubers and still collab with the English VTubers. The whole thing. Yeah, the collabs are key. I, I will say this: um, I'm very impressed with their ability to like 
really just they're very professional they really stay in character i know like mm-hmm. that's just that's crazy to me that because i mean I, I can barely stay in character for like a 20 minutes of recording like a youtube video so i'm a different character every time the camera the car ah, the camera turns on i mean i don't even know if i'd really even say i'm like a character but like or not even like well listen the point is watch deck flexing all right yeah, just give it a try. I didn't you know, know that there would be sites like covering it though. That was cool that I saw an article about it. So. Now, how long is an episode of deck flexing? I don't I don't it's like fifteen ish minutes. Yeah, fifteen fifteen ish minutes, guys. Don't tell me you don't have fifteen minutes. Yeah, so I think that's all the Yu Gi Oh news like majorly for the week, I would say. That's fair. Major's a bit of a stretch, but yeah. Yeah, the closest that we'll get to major. It's like a slower Yu Gi Oh news week. Mm. Um by next week we will have gotten our hands on Age of Overlord, so you can Expect making an opening video. Uh, I thought I'm maybe trying to do like a sealed duel or something this week with it. Not really sure about that. I mean, Perhaps. I know nothing else. I'm definitely buying an opening. I just, I do like that set a lot. Yeah, I got to buy Not as open. much as Phantom Nightmare, though. Anyway, that will be fun. I do have a little bit of card game stuff on here. I have a couple card game stories. Let's get it. I'll start. So, Bandai's releasing special live action One Piece card game art. So there's a new One Piece binder. Paul, you've seen I do have a promotional One Piece binder, but they're releasing one for the live action show. Oh, it's got the live action characters. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. And they have cards for each of them as well. You get, there's a Luffy leader card. Then there's a Luffy character card. Then there's Zolo, Nami, Usopp, Sanji. Uh, wait, who is this? I can't tell. Is that Mihawk? I think it's Mihawk, Arlong, and Shanks. Okay. Cool. I mean... You know, so I watched the One Piece live action. Um, we talked about it a, not so much on this podcast, but you know, we just, mentioned a couple just times. how much we do like it. I think it turned out great. I honestly went into it not knowing what to expect. Left very happy with it. I at multiple times on record, I have made myself out to be quite the big One Piece hater. But at one point, I was a One Piece fan, and it was during the East Blue arc, which is what the live action covered, and uh, it kind of made me a fan of One Piece again. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I think that they, um, I mean, I have not read the One Piece manga or watched the anime. I have the first volume. I'll send it. I'll give it to you. Yeah, I know. Chris would be very upset with me for saying that, but I haven't, but it made me a, a, I don't want to say like a lover of One Piece, but I guess I have to watch more to know, but like. I just enjoyed it. I think that the live action thing came together well. It felt really unique. It was cool to hear that all the actors were like doing their own stunts and mm-hmm. stuff. That was very cool. So I don't know. And now they're getting cards. Yeah, I know they've been also like confirmed for another season. I didn't think that they would show the car like make them into like I guess the One Piece TCG mm-hmm. because they you know like if it this should was, be separate like how you get yeah that's exactly what I was gonna say right. And that's what gets me onto my the part that upsets me. Oh, how did the One Piece card game get a live action and then make live action cards for their card game when Yu-Gi-Oh's existed for just as long as One Piece? It's a card game at its core and always has been. But we don't have. I, mean, I guess someone might argue. No, in the early manga, they played different death games every. every we we don't even talk about this. So no so, so so so. But they got a live action, and they got their live action put into cards, and Yu-Gi-Oh! can't have a collab. Yu-Gi-Oh! can't do anything with its cards. It's so interesting to me, you know, we just got off the topic of, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! having, like, 50 billion different, you know, stakes and parties involved. It feels like Yu-Gi-Oh! is never quite able to move quickly on things. Um, Things like this. So, basically, like, um, you know, it feels like with Yu-Gi-Oh! when Konami does, like, the 25th anniversary 
they kind of have to like wait before it starts mm-hmm. because it's like, was the 25th anniversary this year? Is it, but then it like bleeds into next year. Like it's going to be the next two mainline sets. I think from in next year are going to still be the 25th. So like, what is the 25th? And like, is it even technically the 25th? Cause I mean, Yu-Gi-Oh started in 96, but I guess the card game started in 98. And then we're saying 25th here in North America, but truthfully for us, it was 2002. So for the Yu-Gi-Oh TCG, this is like the 21st anniversary. And for the OCG, I guess it's like the 25th. It's just, it, it feels like it's so desynchronized. Whereas like the One Piece TCG seems like they're able to, like the TCG is a different property for them. Mm-hmm. Than the One Piece manga, which is a different property than the One Piece Netflix adaptation. Yep. Plus, they've got like their movies. Plus, they've got their video games. But the fact that they're able to kind of quickly pull it all together and be like, "Hey, we're gonna do, we're gonna feature these One Piece Netflix characters for a show that came out just a few weeks back. I mean, it's like a couple months now, but like, and like getting into the TCG, like it feels like they were all on the same page from like an, a very early point in its shows. The uh, and you have to plan these things out ahead of time. And they can, they just can kind of run behind schedule. I feel like the cards probably came out a bit later than they want them to. Mm-hmm. But you know, Yu Gi Oh, they st- they had to have planned their twenty fifth anniversary event uh, probably like two years ago, a year and a half ago at at least. Yeah, you would hope. And it get we we get it, and it very much feels like a twenty fifth anniversary that was planned two years ago. What was happening two years ago? Yeah, like COVID. Uh, yeah, we were like fresh. Uh, we were coming. We we're coming out of the pandemic, and the card game space and reality was different at the time. Now the twenty fifth anniversary hits, and we can all agree it's it's kind of hit. Yeah, eh. it's been all bad. But like, we had there was time between when this was planned and now where something could have been done to like jazz yeah, it up. I, I, I listen. Like I'm not. I know people don't like it when we just get in here and like whine about Yu-Gi-Oh! So I'm going to try to keep this quick. I think that this is an example we're not, of... We're not whining about the Yu-Gi-Oh! TCG. We're whining about the Yu-Gi-Oh! franchise. Yeah. It's a little different. I think that One Piece, it's they keep it all together better, is yeah. my... Also owned by Shueisha. That's true. <laughs> They're all like... Shueisha has like a you know some influence in them all, so you think they can do a little better with Yu-Gi-Oh! But anyways... I've got another interesting trading card game story. Was what there anything got? more about the One Piece? No, that's it. Cards? Just had live action cards. Cool. Well, here's something. Um, so I can find it. Okay. So Wizards of the Coast introduces the Play Booster, which is going to replace Draft and Set Boosters. Oh. So yeah, uh, I am. You can kind of guide me along here a little bit as oh. I wade through what I think Magic the Gathering products sort of work like. Announced earlier today, this is October 16th when they publish this, announced earlier today by Wizards of the Coast um, with a supporting article from Mark Rosewater, there will be a brand new booster variant that will change how competitive and casual players approach Magic in 2024, offering a merger of the draft and set booster called the Play Booster. Mm. So I know when we've done like Magic the Gathering content, you and Larry usually open the collector boosters and like the, what are they called, the... The set booster? I forget which one we typically open. I think we do open the uh, set booster. <laughs> yeah. So, um, set boosters debuted with Zendikar Rising in 2020, which offered a middle ground for players who didn't want to draft or buy draft boosters, but also didn't want to purchase a collector booster because they aren't a card collector. Set boosters allow players to open cards from blah, blah, blah. Okay. 
The problem is the set booster proved to be too popular as it offered moderate value for those who couldn't justify um, buying collector boosters, but also didn't see any value in buying draft. Just repeating the same thing. As a result, the draft booster became alienated by consumers due to the popularity of the set booster. So basically, cannibalization. So a, a quick quick backstory. So the draft booster is actually their initial uh, offering with Magic. Mm-hmm. At first, if you wanted to buy like a box of a set, you had to buy a draft booster. There was no there was no other alternative. The set booster came about afterwards. As a, um, like I guess in twenty twenty, it's the middle ground. If you just want to collect the cards, it has a different like ratio. It's not set up for drafting, so you can have a better time trying to pull cards that you want. Not necessarily for that's not necessarily for playability. And then collectors boosters are just high end collectors. Yeah, stuff. that was always kind of weird that they had like those collector boosters. Like I remember realizing like, oh, that's like milk different than that ca- milk that cash cow, you know. So this is where the play booster, which will debut with Murders of Karlov Manor in February 24, comes in. Is that the name of the set? Yeah, Murders of Karlov Manor. This is from a TCG Player article. That is metal. Um, the Lost Caverns of Ixalan and Ravnica Remastered will be the last two releases to incorporate either or both draft and set boosters before merging into the play booster. So um, play boosters will be your go-to if you want to play draft, limited, or pre-releases of any magic expansion. Okay. Um, there are plenty of valid reasons from Wizards of the Coast with this shift and the evolution of play boosters. The key one being that set and draft boosters created inventory issues with retailers and consumers weren't always confident in which product to buy based on their needs. Fair. Additionally, set boosters wouldn't make for a decent replacement for draft boosters in their current iteration due to only containing 12 cards per pack, with rarities and colors not being balanced for limited play. Furthermore, there was added frustration from retailers who weren't sure how much of which product to order based on a given magic release. So by merging the best aspects of the draft and set booster, the play booster will hopefully offer a reasonable solution to this problem. I have a question. I have a question. Yes. Uh, so what aspect of the set booster is being incorporated here? I don't play magic. I don't know. All right, let's see. With the, introduction of this, with the introduction of this play booster, there are a few changes that are worth noting when it comes to contents and how many cards you'll receive per pack. This oh, might okay. answer your question. With the play booster, there will be 14 cards per pack compared to the 12 or 15 as seen in the set and draft booster. So it's kind of a middle ground. Even though there's one less card in the play booster compared to a draft booster, Wizards of the Coast are confident this will not hinder limited play. Um... So they have slots in each pack. Slots one through six are commons. Mm-hmm. Slot number seven is the list slash common. Those are re- like reprints. Uh, slot eight through ten are uncommons. Slot number eleven is a rare or a mythic rare. Slot number twelve is a basic land. Slot number thirteen is a non-foil wild card, and slot number fourteen is a foil wild card. Okay. All right. All right. I, I get it. I do get it. So this is kind of interesting because while I know nothing about Magic the Gathering, so like I can't really, you know, speak to whether this is going to be like good or bad for a Magic player. By the way, I would love to hear you guys' like takes on it if you play Magic and this is like big news to you. But I just think it's fascinating when like a card game introduces like a, a shake up in like how it is distributed. I think um, Wizards, Wizards is definitely trying to stay mobile in the card game space can keep their products moving competitively. Mm-hmm. 
they quickly noticed that there was some confusion with their their boosters because I, as someone who got into it recently, I was also very confused. Like, okay, well, there's a collector's booster, a draft booster, and a set booster. Okay, I yeah. I remember thinking, well, why would I want a draft booster? I'm not gonna draft. Yeah, I so I'm I'm kind of, kind of like you. Whenever I would go to the card shop and see like a load of magic cards on the shelf, I was always just very confused because people would be like, oh yeah, the new set came out. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Why is it like three different ones? Like, cause at first I didn't even see what it said at the bottom where it says like draft booster, set booster, collector box or whatever. Cause I was just like, why are there like three? Like it's weird. It's like imagine age of overlord has like a draftable version and like a regular version. And then I guess like a high end version. And then you add that with like, you know, the fact that there's like different prices for each one. And I assume that draft boosters are really more so meant to be played at like the sneak peeks. I mean, and like early set kind pre-release, of release sneak pre-release, peaks, but um, limited formats in magic are also quite popular. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I feel like there's like a, a lot of confusion there. It's a lot of confusion. I think it's very expensive because yeah. each of those packs have to be, they, you can't even, I don't know if you can, I don't think you can even have the same factory printing them all just because of the chance of uh, something going wrong can be quite high. Yeah. Since each pack is seated completely differently from the last, the draft boosters are seated much like our um, battle packs were. Mm-hmm. Where um, it's very controlled because it's trying to have a a draftable experience. yeah a draftable experience. So, but the thing is, rarity isn't taken into account to the same degree in those. So, if you're just trying to like pull packs and like pull, you know, I want to pull like some mythics. I want to, you know, I want to collect the cards. Draft boosters aren't the best because they're weighted differently. Right now, the set boosters are more like our traditional Yu Gi Oh packs. Since they it, they're very like rarity. Um, they, they, they're very rarity, um, focused. Mm. So those are great when you want to just collect cards, but if you try and play sealed out of those, you'll quickly have unbalanced decks and a rough, like, yeah, a rough drafting situation. I'm a fan of the simplification then. I mean, I know when I would go to the card shops too, I always noticed the draft boosters didn't sell well. Like it seemed like there, there would always be like on this, I wouldn't see many people buy them. Is, I think that it's because I saw. I feel like you, if you buy them, it, you have to have a group. Yes, there has yeah. to be like large buy-in. Yeah, there's got to be like a group. Like either you and your friends are gonna like take it and go home and draft with it, or draft tonight at the shop or whatever. But I feel like just on average, it probably for a card shop, you might buy those draft boosters, and they like you have to really have events for them to work. Uh, whereas set boosters and like collectors boosters, I think, or probably selling a little better and like from the from the sounds of it set boosters kind of power crept or just not power crept but like sales crept the draft boosters from the sounds and of it and a lot of that is because of the card game boom card collecting got really big during the pandemic so when like new people lots of new people would just show up to buy like magic cards they would ask, like, okay, uh, this is for drafting. I'm not doing that. Uh, this is set boosters for collecting. Okay, I'm getting that and the collector's boosters. They would ignore the draft boosters. Mm-hmm. So the same amount of people as normal were buying draft boosters, but then a lot more sales are coming from set boosters and collectors. So there's so really, they just kind of nix the uh, draft and just yep. kind of mix it all together. So do you think all in all, like, plus, minus, like, good, bad? Got to be it's, binary. Only two choices. Okay. Probably good for Wizards. I'm sure they're saving money with this. 
I think good for card shops. Yeah, good for card shops. It's easier to sell, like less products to have to try and sell. Yeah, and keep it on the shelf. And um, I mean, we'll have to see for, well, what, what it means for players, like for players. Changes. especially the drafters. Lots of people love drafting Magic, and um, they might be. They, it might go a little. Awry. I mean, it sounds to me like they're still trying to build in the draftable experience. So at least Wizards did consider that. Like I'm, I'm very curious to see how that goes. Like it's kind of crazy that Wizards has kept up the it's kind of like vaguely related the draftable format for this many years. Like every mm-hmm. time they make a new set, even in 2023, 2020, up until 2024, like still making it draftable. Like Yu Gi Oh's kind of left, you know, kind of compare everything to Yu Gi Oh. <laughs> Yu Gi Oh left draft behind. Like, I mean, like I want to say. It. 15 years ago now, just about, like, where sets just simply are not draftable. The way that they work isn't, like, everything's kind of just new support for things, like, halfway new support. There's not, you won't get staples. Uh, it's just harder to really See, do it. Draft has asked a lot of you as a, a card game, like, manufacturer and maker, and even asked a lot of your R&D to, to create this draftable experience. It. But that's not the goal, of releasing a new set, your new set. Your new set supposed to just be like new, exciting, mm-hmm. like kind of. Yeah, no, I, I, I take it back. I mean, they did do Battle Pack as late as like twenty fifteen ish, fourteen fifteen. It is twenty twenty three. Well, I said like fifteen years ago. <laughs> this is like eight years ago. Then that the last draftable thing, Speed Duel's kind of revisiting I was eight that. Years ago, Paul. Still here. Oh my god. Yeah. Um. Just starting APS videos, I guess. Oh. Um. What was I gonna say though? Yeah. I mean, like Speed Duel's kind of revisiting the, the concept of draft. I'm so old. Like, but even Speed Duel's not exactly draftable because they're doing the boxes, but it's like sort of pre-made. Which is, I mean, which is a limited. It's a sealed format, so as close. Um, the Digimon TCG, their pre-releases are always, um, their pre-releases are like sealed draft and, um, or not draft. Do those work out pretty well? They work out okay. They've had to Mm -hmm. do some, uh, finagling of their rule set and the seeding of their packs to try and make it more of a playable thing. Cause out the gate, they were like, okay, your pre-releases are sealed. So just crack open some packs and play a sealed tournament. And then we were cracking open the packs. This all happened in real time for pretty much every Digimon player. We're, uh, we're cracking open our packs and we're like, okay, so I got, um, I got two DigiX. I got two of them. Yeah. So you got to really be like fine tune those ratios of a pack to mm-hmm. guarantee that people get enough of each type of card to play Ooh. with. <laughs> or some people, some poor souls. It's like, okay, so I have like, uh, six uh, rookies, which are the base levels that you have to level up from. Or oh, you don't have enough, then you're <laughs> so, just not able to like make a working deck. I've played pre-releases. This is an old, early Digimon. It's much better now. I've played pre-releases with just two mega-level Digimon. Yeah. See, <laughs> I think like, Yu-Gi-Oh could do it. It's just... It would take, I guess, a set of resources. Because like, there has to... It's like you said. I mean, there have to be like people who are basically in like R&Ding, right? Like a new draft set to coincide with the new set. So that's why I'm so impressed that Magic has been able to do like three basically releases for every major release. It's like that's just wild. It is impressive. I had an idea though. There is one way Yu-Gi-Oh could have draft, but it might upset Yu-Gi-Oh players. Like the, the current ones. 
you make kind of BS cards. Not mm-hmm. they're not bad on paper. These are these are they're they're, they're very simple, staply cards, but low power. That can help fill in the gaps in deck building, mm-hmm. because you know. If you if we you and I drafted Age of Overlord right now, there'd be all kinds of issues, right? Yeah, we, we probably wouldn't have great spell spell and trap removal. We probably wouldn't have very synergistic cards at all. Mm-hmm. So you just make simple stuff like you retrain MST, and the card just and you kind of continue does to release MST. it. Like I don't think people would hate that, right? They I just mean, like, wouldn't have any role in the like the meta game of Yu Gi Oh. True, but I mean maybe counter argument. That's how sets kind of already are. That's like true. We have a lot of pack filler. Yeah, a lot, a lot of times sets, like maybe a total of like 10 to 20% of it is playable. And then a lot just isn't unless you are specifically into these one-off cards. And then there's some cards that even the casual players ignore because they're just like linear equation canon, kind of fun gimmicks, but they just are not going to be played. So I think that there's something there. Like, I think Konami could could revisit it. I would certainly like it because if nothing else, I think Yu-Gi-Oh! is, we all know we're kind of like, you know, hungry for alt formats and stuff, so. We're starving, Konami. But yeah, that's like Magic the Gathering story. Um, Like I said, if you are a Magic player, I would like to hear your opinions on the idea of this play booster. How are you feeling about it? I know it's not out yet, so you can't really know, but just are, are, are we hot or cold on it right now? You know what what I'm very cold on, but I wish I was hot on? Okay. Uh Pokemon skateboards. Oh, okay, a new Pokemon thing. Yeah, so a recent collab between Pokemon the po- the Pokemon company and Santa Cruz Skateboards, which sold out in seconds, like it, it was gone almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Thousands of people were buying sealed unowned decks, uh skate decks. Okay, yeah, it's funny cuz in this podcast it could be either <laughs> one. Yeah. And uh, like and immediately decks. reselling these sealed, unopened uh, packages for thousands of dollars online. Yay! So, like, by the time this the per- this person was able to write this article, the they came out and were already being resold online for exorbitant prices. What's interesting is so these these uh these skateboards they're all sealed, so you actually don't see what's inside of it. Um, what is it? There is a very low chance of pulling a gold skateboard. And there's five golden designs. Eevee, Gyarados, Pikachu, Charizard, and Mimikyu. And I think there are only 50 of each of them in the entire world. Okay, so a new Pokemon collab has gone overboard. Yes, board. I see what you did there. (laughs) Thanks, yeah, I meant to do that. I mean, listen... I don't know what to say anymore. It's, it's you know, I, I'm going to say, this is kind of the sad part about Pokemon right now. It's just too freaking popular for its own good. It's crazy popular. It's, it's just insane. like, it feels like it's impossible for Pokemon to do anything cool without it being ruined. Because, um, like, I'll just go ahead and mention my story because it's closely related. What you got? Um, it's the, do you remember how the other week we were talking about the Pikachu with gray felt hat promo card, the Pokemon oh, yeah. Van Gogh Museum? Yeah, no more of that. They had to cut it out entirely. So, unfortunately, due to the behavior of some resellers and um, Pokemon fans, the Van Gogh Museum will no longer be distributing the Pikachu with Grey Felt Hat promotional card. Mm. So, here's the scoop. The Van Gogh Museum, this is their statement. The Van Gogh Museum and the Pokemon Company International take the safety and security of visitors and staff very seriously. Uh Recently, a small group of individuals has created an undesirable situation. 
that has led us to take the difficult decision to remove the Pikachu with Greyfeld hat promo card from the museum. In this way, visitors will be able to experience the special collection of Pokemon paintings and the rest of the museum in a safe and enjoyable manner. So while they don't go into detail about exactly what happened, I guess you can put two and two together, can't you? Because basically, scalpers and people were like showing up at this museum and apparently harassing visitors and staff to try to get additional copies of these like, you know, promo cards because they're going for loads on eBay. I'm looking it up right now. I'm trying to see. I'm trying to see if yeah. you cop me one. So I know, right? I, I don't know what the prices of them are Van right now. Go. Go is Type in like G-O-G-H, right? Well, are you trying to find the price of the card? Yeah. I'm going to eBay. Um, it's Pikachu with gray felt hat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that would be the name of the card. Okay. Um, you can see, like, how much those are going for. But, yeah, basically it sounds to me like some crazed people were harassing staff at the museum. Because the thing is, like, it's like it's the Van Gogh Museum. Like, this isn't just a Pokemon pop-up shop, right? It's like an actual, like, museum of art and stuff. And so there are supposed to be normal people who, like, show up and just want to, like, tour the museum. And it sounds like scalpers were being, you know, unhinged barbarians. And ruining the experience for people, ruining the experience for staff, and all in the attempts at getting this card that I guess you were supposed to resell. Have you found anything? Oh, I... What are you seeing? So, I don't know if... I don't know if there's more details about this that I need to be privy of to understand what I'm seeing here. Okay. eBay has a ton of listings for this thing, Mm -hmm. but the prices are all over the place. Well, some might be auctions. So, like, are there buy it nows or anything? There. So, at least on the ones that have the authenticity guarantee kind of mm-hmm. check mark on them, those are all for at least uh, five hundred and fifty dollars. Okay. But all the ones that don't have the check mark, they're on here for like, yeah, like a hundred dollars. Interesting. Well, like I don't understand why, if you can sell it for five hundred, why, why aren't? aren't you? I don't know the whole situation and the price of the card. Somebody can maybe fill me in on that as well. But maybe they're fake. I mean, I doubt it. But then again, only like, two of them have the authenticity have, so. che- uh, check mark. But just to focus on, I guess, just the story itself. Is this not just like kind of sad? Because you know that these are like adults, oh, right? Well. These are like grown people being. No kids was going to the Van Gogh Museum. No, that's the problem. But, like, I'm sure that there were parents who were, like, bringing their kids to, like, go and maybe get the card. Come on, Jimmy. You like Van Gogh, don't you? You love Pikachu, don't you? Dad wants a card to sell for (laughs) a thousand bucks. Yeah, so they had to stop uh, distributing that. Uh, That is lame. Um, I remember just a couple weeks ago when we were talking about it before... They were saying how like they'd run out like online and stuff, and they were gonna like kind of restock it or something. It sounds like they just they're just like eh, we're not doing this anymore. You know, I think I speak for many people when I can when I say you know I'm just sick of uh, greedy nerds. Though that's that's unfair. I feel like the nerds who love Pokemon aren't doing this. It's just the greedy people. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is a lot of the people who want these cards, these resellers, they're not interested in Pokemon. Right, I mean, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but like, insofar as how much they can make, yeah, they want money. Like they want, they're interested in Pokemon cards values. Like that's what they're interested in, and so it's a bit of a shame that like, like with the skateboard situation, like Pokemon can't do anything anymore. 
like, I mean, it can, they can do the, these cool collabs, but it's just, they do a happy meal sells out. And there ended up being some story about violence somehow. Someone sh- got shot at a McDonald's over a Happy Meal. What? No, I don't think that happened. But like, oh, I'm. Oh. <laughs> it sounded like hyperbole hopeful. But like, I mean, it's just they do a Happy Meal, it sells out. And like, people are listing it on eBay for like 200 bucks. You know, they try to do a skateboard, sells out in I can minutes. Get a, I can get a, I'm going to a Pokemon Happy Meal on eBay. Check how much of there, there's like a, a price to that. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they're always limited time things. I wonder if the, the food will still be in it. Gross. Because <laughs> usually it's like the little Happy Meal box and like the promo cards that come in it. Those are kind of the. Oh, if people are selling it, they don't, they're not, they don't have the whole thing listed. Okay. Well, but yeah, it's like they do a Happy Meal, sells out. They do a skateboard, sells out. Van Gogh Museum promo card. Like people get harassed and, you know, try to get. So it's just like, man, Pokemon, it, it seems like they have a tough time, like doing things like this i mean that's what you that's what happens when you're the number one franchise in the world and it seems by far it feels like nothing's even close yeah nothing can because i mean like you've got other franchises that are popular but they but like it still feels like it's their fans who want the stuff yeah nothing feels so ravenously popular like if star wars does something it'll sell out among star wars fans but it doesn't feel like it's like the whole world comes out of the woodwork to you know Kind of just scalp it. And and what's interesting about that is it doesn't even necessarily sell out with Star Wars things. Even like the most, the best, the most cool memorabilia. I mean, it'll, it'll sell. It just probably won't sell out. It feels like people aren't ready to just risk life and limb for Star Wars merch as they are for Pokemon merch. Yeah. And it's like it's crazy because I think half the people want to kind of collect it and have it, and the other half just want to sell it. So, yeah, um, I just thought that these are very similar stories. So I they are. throw mine in the ring. I mean, it's just, it's unfortunate. Um, I would love a Pokemon skateboard. Well, you can but, get one for like a thousand dollars. Yeah, I think the price I saw was one thousand one hundred and twenty dollars. Cool. Which I think they were only sold for like a couple hundred, but oh well, that's yeah. the price. I know they, they did Yu-Gi-Oh skateboards recently. They announced some. We have a Yu-Gi-Oh skateboard that we I have not have seen skateboard. you ride yet. I mean, I tried once. I think we did a video on it. I think you tried to ride it. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Was I can't ride. really ride a skateboard. I'm not very. Well, it's time to learn, Paul. Uh, <laughs> so my next story. So remember, um. The worst game of 2023. Worst game of 2023. Yes. What would that be? Uh, The Lord of the Rings Gollum game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, there's now a game that is right there with it. So it's called Rise of Kong. And to some of you guys, you may immediately have an idea of what this is, but Paul won't. Uh, It's a King Kong game. Okay. And um, it's kind of out of nowhere. You know, typically... Game games that are sent around those types of IPs, it's They're wrapped like, into a movie release or yeah. something. It's not, and r- almost rightfully so, because this is probably worse than any movie game I've ever seen. Okay. So, Rise of Kong, to say it's an incomplete game would be giving it When did this come credit. out? Like, uh, yesterday or today. Okay, so it's like a new game. Yeah, it's, it's it's brand new that people have been putting posting gameplay online. It looks so it's just horrible. apparently like horrible. So you know, King Kong, giant monkey, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in this game, you get to play as the giant monkey, 
But how do you think that, like, how do they sell you on the fact you're playing a giant monkey? I don't know. This is what you do. Okay. You, you go, you get into like unreal engine and you just scale everything. Oh, it's like to make it like kind of seem bigger so that you just, or like smaller you just scale the things around it to make it look big. When in the game, it looks like you're playing a normal sized, a normal sized gorilla, but like all of your enemies are like normal creatures, just like scaled down. It's kind of they a weird scale them down. But the environment around you is mixed. It's the trees are normal looking, but like rocks and stuff are scaled oh. down again. So it's like a weird, bad perspective thing. Yeah, horrible perspective. The game has the game. The gameplay. It's a one button kind of button mashing kind of game mm-hmm. where you just kind of point your gorilla towards something. And like you swings. Just, you or press this your one punches. button and it does all what it's supposed to do. The it the action looks horrible. It's it doesn't control well. Your gorilla's kind of floaty and like. The physics of the game just don't look right. Okay. I like, mean... It's so, an absolute mess of a game. I yeah, I mean, I remember Gollum came out and people said that was awful. But <sighs> like, it sounds like it was at least like a functional game. Like, well, Gollum was also very glitchy. Like, unbelievably glitchy. Now, I haven't heard too much about this game having glitches. It's just, like, not complete. It feels like it's someone's um, like project, like a school project where they, I want to make a video game. Yeah. I mean, but like the thing is, Steam gets a lot of those weird, just shit simulators where it's like, just like cow simulator or like surgery simulator. I mean, some of them are like really fun and people like them, but. Oh, this game is not that. Well, there are some games that are really good. In fact, I got a list of the ten best-selling video games of all time. Are you are you serious? Yes, yeah, recently updated article by IGN. Okay, we're gonna go through it because video games. Sure. Um, <laughs> I don't know. This, this is a recent story, so I was like, "Oh, this is kind of cool." Um, all right, so I want you to guess the number ten best-selling video game of all time. They do mention that there are some that didn't make this list because they were not able to like get accurate data for them, like Diablo three. And um, the Call of Duty franchise. What what are the uh, limits? Of what what's the scope of this? Because the- so pack in games are counted towards t- sales totals. So like okay. if it was bundled with a console, free downloads are not considered sales. Oh, so um, so that the mobile game sphere like, is done, is not included. Fortnite and League of Legends are excluded from this, for instance. And then due to a lack of sales data, they didn't have things like they reached out to actors in Blizzard for sales numbers for like Diablo three, which had like thirty million units as of June twenty fifteen, but it's obviously been like it's been a year since then and the Call of Duty franchise. So um that's so, kinda uh, what I'm hearing here is this list is not even complete. It's probably not that <laughs> accurate. <laughs> but okay, if I have to try and guess the number ten uh game, so oh man, this this is gonna be tough. But I feel like it's a sports game. It is not. Dang. It is uh, Overwatch at 50 million. Okay, Overwatch at 50 million. All right. Yeah, Overwatch elevated the hero shooter genre with brilliant game design, thoughtfully crafted heroes, and continued it esports support. Bloodborne. And was replaced in October 2022 with um, its sequel, Overwatch 2, which has been met with mixed reception. But Overwatch 2 made me quit Overwatch forever. Um, number nine. The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. 
Kind of a surprise? Nah, solid game. Very solid game. I know people really like the game. I think it just post-launch got a lot of sales because it had like so many expansions it and was, stuff. It was that final expansion that pushed it into from kind of like cult game to like, this is an RPG you need to play. Yeah, so um, total sales sit at over $75 million. Red Dead Redemption 2 is number eight. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so this is another, this is a Rockstar game, which... Funnily enough, I don't play Rockstar games, but everyone else does, so I've heard a lot of good things. Yeah, I heard a lot of really great stuff about Red Dead Redemption 2. I heard it was, people, there's like a rumor that they were going to be remastering this or something. I wouldn't be surprised. My older brother talks about Red Dead Redemption almost constantly. Yeah, so it came out in 2018, but uh, yeah, so number seven, The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. Oh, uh, quick interjection here. Is the top five Pokemon games? Because I can just leave. I won't spoil what the top five are. We're going to go in order, all right? You're going to listen. Fine. The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. I do remember a funny story about when Skyrim came out, because I think it was, what, in 2011? Oh, yeah. People... It was definitely 2011. Yeah. What's that supposed to mean? Because that was my first year in college, and... Okay. <laughs> Skyrim was a huge deal. Yeah, I think I was a, a junior in high school at that point. So I remember people actually planned, like a bunch of guys like planned to just skip school to play Skyrim. Like they call, It was like Skyrim Day, and they all collectively were like, we're just not going to come to school, we're just going to play Dudes Skyrim. Dudes didn't leave their dorms when Skyrim came out. Yeah, I know. I had a cousin. He played a lot of Skyrim. That in Black Ops. Oh, my God. So, um... Yeah, I just know, like, Skyrim, there were, like, memes attached to it. Like, what was it? There was, like... Arrow to the knee. Yeah, the arrow to the knee. There was the thing where, like, people make, like, a funny video where a person gets, like, murdered or deleted from existence and, like, they wake up at the Skyrim opening or yep. whatever. Yeah, yeah, you wake up in that little wagon. I think they have remastered this as well. Like, Skyrim? the PS5 oh, yeah. and all Skyrim's that. Skyrim's been remastered. It's been a few times. Quite a few times. And it's been YouTube pooped. Yeah, lots of mods. I know there are people who make some unhinged skyrim mods i remember i have a or have i had a mod that i installed that made my skyrim character do unscrupulous acts and i didn't know how to turn it off wow and i was very upset <laughs> when my skyrim character started bribing his way out of jail bribing okay uh mario kart 8 plus deluxe is number six all right all right so um over 55 million copies sold um, as Wait, of June. Wait, Mario th- Kart only at number five? Six, actually. Oh, six. Ooh. This is include. This is sales of the Wii U game and the Switch game because the Switch game is just right. deluxe. That means that the C- that the next ones have to be huge. Yeah, it's the best-selling Switch game. That's not a surprise. They've been releasing so much DLC for that game. Like they're just, they just. I, I don't know how many races are in that game right now. Like it's, I mean, like 50 characters. Like, Eighty freaking tracks or something. That, that this game is still the Mario Kart. Yeah, I mean, I think that Nintendo kind of found out with the Wii U. They released it on the Wii U, but the Wii U wasn't a great console, so like sales wise and stuff. So they realized, okay, we're just gonna like re-release this on the Switch, and they got a lot of sales for it. And like, it gets bundled with a lot of Switches. It's like literally the easiest party game to because it's kind of the family gathering people don't need new mario karts yeah you don't really need it's, like a new you entry. need mario kart yeah. you don't need new ones and i feel like with eight they kind of perfected the physics and the formula so much that like i mean i guess they'll have to make a nine like eventually but really i mean like you don't like you said like you don't need a new one you just you bring mario kart to the party and all your little friends and cousins and brothers and sisters and everyone can just 
Yeah, play the it. lifetime on a game is just stupid long. And that's in true Nintendo fashion. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's how it was back in the day with like Mario Party and stuff. We ran those games for a minute before yeah. they needed Like, they don't have to have great graphics. You don't really need a new one. It's a, it's a very, like, play it forever formula. Number five is PUBG. Didn't expect that. You have to pay for PUBG? Given its critical role in the rising popularity of Battle Royale games over the last five years, it's unsurprising that PUBG has been a massive sales success. Um, they told The Verge that it has sold 75 million copies as of December 2021. Wait, 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 wait. I play, I paid for PUBG? It went free-to-play in January 2022. But apparently you paid for it, I guess. I didn't remember. I thought PUBG was like a, down, a free download, too. I don't remember, I don't remember buying it. Because, yeah, yeah, guys, for context, I did play PUBG. Early in the Battle Royale kind of life, uh, lifespan, but I don't remember buying it. I feel bad for paying yeah, buying it because I didn't play it long. I wonder how much it cost. Like, was it like a sixty? Surely not sixty. It couldn't have been. It couldn't have been expensive. There's no way I would have spent. I, mean, I feel like PUBG looked like crap, and like it was like a fun game. They said it was like, fine. I wouldn't even call it very fun. I just, I just wanted to be a hipster and be a PUBG player. It was during that time when. You, elite, you could be an elitist by claiming that you played PUBG over like Fortnite. Fortnite, yeah. Fortnite's since gone on to be the. And now I play Fortnite all the time. Well, number four is Wii Sports. That's not a surprise, but I don't think that's really fair to include here. I mean, like, it's bundled with every Wii, so. But, like, the Wii is. Oh, the Wii yeah, sold, like, but, gold. Yeah. But so, of course, like, Wii Sports is going to be up there. Yeah, that's fair. Now, that said, Wii Sports was a good, like, perfect console entry like titled for a, a console like that where it's like motion controls you play baseball boxing golf or was it bowling mm-hmm. and they had like and we sports golf, saw I want to say a, um kind of resurgence during the pandemic people, Did it? yeah there, oh, people there were, were people it? firing up we sports again because um what that's the, the uh, there's a switch game that was similar ish that got popular mm-hmm. and when people couldn't get their hands on that anymore i saw posts about people firing up the wii yeah, a funny thing about the Wii is it's uh it's kind of like influenced this weird sect of internet culture where like people use like the Wii Shop channel music and like the me it is iconic creator music and stuff like that. Yeah, so even though it was so weird, it was very that like, was a bizarre. weird console. Yeah. No, thank you Nintendo for always finding a way to make the weird consoles. Now you know the next one. Uh, I do. Is there's three left, so you're gonna guess. What the three best-selling games of all time are. I mean, I'm sure they're all Nintendo. Is one Legends of Zelda something? Oh, so actually, none of them are Nintendo. None? None of them. Oh, okay. Well, none of them are Nintendo. Um, That's your hint. Hmm. And these are games you had to pay for. Yes. I'll give you... I'll give you one hint. Please. One is very old. Okay, okay, all right, all right, okay. One is very old. The others, you could argue, are also quite old, but not, like, as old as one of them. Um, It's hard to imagine something outselling, like, Wii Sports. Um, Halo 2? Oh, God, no. Um... So number three is Grand Theft Auto Five, which shouldn't really be a surprise. Oh, yeah, it's so old. They've re-released that crap so many times. I saw that one meme about the girl like on the cover who's hold- he has like an oh, iPhone like yeah. 4s or something, 4- iPhone. iPhone five, 
Yeah. Um, so Grand Theft Auto V is the best-selling console slash PC only game of all time. Um, surpassed 185 million units as of August 2023. Okay. That's across the game's three different console generations and PC. So, yeah. I mean, it, it came out on like September 17th, 2013. Back on the PS3 and Xbox 360. Jeez. And they re-released it on PS4 and Xbox One. And they've also re-released it on PS5 and Xbox Series X. And, of course, it's been on PC. So, yeah, this is, I mean, they remastered this game, released this game. They made Grand Theft Auto Online. It's Okay, well, now, now I, I really don't know what the next two are, then. Number two is Minecraft. You have to pay for Minecraft? I didn't know that either. I guess like you had to pay like 10 bucks or something. I don't know. Minecraft has sold over 300 million copies as of late 2023, Mojang announced. So that figure captures the sales total across Minecraft's many platforms. Um, Didn't know people paid for that. I thought it was a free-to-play game. Yeah, it came out on May 17th, 2009. um, And it's just been on like every platform you can imagine as Minecraft. I have seen my younger brother play it on his phone and his Switch before. And the computer. It's on like 3DS, Wii U, Switch, Vita, PS3, PS4, 360, Xbox One, VR. Oh, yeah. I I, I did see Yeah, I mean, like, you can uh, play Minecraft on everything. I know, not me. I can't. I, I can't do it. Oh, you're one of those like I wouldn't be caught dead playing this game. Well, I just don't. I just don't like Minecraft. Like uh, I, you know, to this day, I've never played it once, and I still don't actually know what you do in that game. You build, you break blocks, and you build stuff. You play. I mean, you play Smash. You know. All right, so Minecraft. Steve, number one. Take a guess. I could not tell you under no circumstances can I know the answer to this. It's very old. I will tell you the year it released. All right, get, give me that. 1984. What the heck? 1984 is a very iconic game. I'm going to guess, of course, it is if it's number one. At 84, I wasn't I wasn't alive then, so it so this has to be one of the greats then. Yeah, it's like one of the greats. Oh my gosh, it's very simple. I'll say that. So this, but it's going to be after the arcade era, so. I'm going to go with, it had to have been something that was on one of the first consoles. Maybe the the family computer. No. Um, I don't even know like what these consoles' names are, actually. 84? Yeah, just take a guess. Not a Nintendo game. You didn't have to. No, I guess you would have had to have played for it. I would give you one more hint, but it would like pretty much give it away. It's not Pac-Man, is it? It's Tetris. Just Tetris. People pay for Tetris? Yeah. You can pay for Tetris on it's on like just every platform and almost every shop. It's got loads of different <laughs> renditions and versions of it. But yeah, Tetris. Atari. Uh, over five hundred and twenty million and released on Electronica sixty. Oh no, Tetris. Whatever that Tetris. means. So yeah, it came out on June 6, nineteen eighty. And it's just released, been released ever since. That's insane to me because I, it's hard to imagine someone paying for Tetris because I've, well, yeah, I've, I know. Paid, I've played Tetris. I've never paid for it. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's always like once bundled in, in or like, like a free thing. So, and here are the just outside the top 10. Number 13 was Terraria. That's a popular game. I didn't know it was that popular. I didn't know it was that popular. Number 12 was uh, Pokemon Red and Blue at 47 million sold units. I thought they'd be higher. 
Same. And then number 11 was Super Mario Bros. at 48 million. So. I was so those were the games I kept expecting to be at the highest levels of this, but I guess because of like bundled releases and um, re-releases of games, the the volume just got stupid. yeah. It's a weird list because I feel like it's not like you know some of these games are like just they, they've been like bundled into things or like have so many different versions. It's hard to like exactly say but that's their list so i just thought it would be fun to share that was something i'm huh that was that was something you took me on a trip there yeah i was not prepared not one bit um so yeah any other stories what do i have i think i have one more okay Uh, let's see oh yeah so um this concerns concerns the mcu oh it's an mcu story i haven't had one of those on here so, uh, Daredevil hits reset button as Marvel overhauls its TV business. Oh, I read... Okay, I read this, actually. Or, like, I think I read this headline some days It back. didn't take long to see the problem after Marvel Studios' Daredevil Born Again paused production mid-June during the writer's strike. Fewer than half of the series' 18 episodes had been shot, but it was enough for Marvel executives, including Chief Kevin Feige, to review the footage and come away with a clear-eyed assessment. This show wasn't working. So in late September, Marvel quietly let go head writers Chris Ord and Matt Corman and also released the directors for the remainder of the season as part of a significant creative reboot of the series. The series, the studio is now on the hunt for new writers and directors for the project, which stars Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock, which stars Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock. Uh, So what caught my eye about this story was when they got into the specifics about how Marvel does this. How do they do this? I'm not really sure. Through it all, the company eschewed the traditional TV making model. It didn't commission pilots, but instead shot entire $150 million plus seasons of TV on the fly. You know, in typical um, like cable television, you shoot pilots and that's how you do your, you do your chemistry testing and you get, you, you, um, you get focus groups and all that to see if it will work. But Marvel does not yeah, do that. They just kind of commit to the it. entire thing. Yeah. Cause okay. it just will be popular because it's Marvel. Yeah. It doesn't hire showrunners. Yeah. So then the people that actually organize all of the filming and everything, mm-hmm. but instead depended on film executives to run its series. You know, the people who just spend, who like move dollars around. Yes. And as, f- and as Marvel does for its <clears throat> movies, it relied on post-production and reshoots to fix what wasn't working. Yeah, okay. So this is like maybe the second time we talked about Marvel on here, but um, I don't even know where to start with this. I have a lot of thoughts. So, Guys, it might be like one of those two-hour podcasts this time. <laughs> There's a lot to say about Marvel. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big Marvel fan. I am not the biggest uh, MCU fan. I'm, right. I'm, I'm a Marvel fan. Yes. And I've watched every part of the MCU, but not as um, happily as some have. Okay. Um, the MCU started off great. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Iron Man. We yep. thought it was standalone. They had, we got Iron Man 2. We're like, oh, look, we're doing a little trilogy. That's cute. And um, we got, I think we got Iron Man 3. And there was talk of the of more 
yeah. more and more and more. And we're thinking, okay, this is like this is kind of cool. Right? We're gonna get like a whole Marvel like cinematic universe. We got Nick Fury, the Black yeah. Widow, and I mean, it's like it popularized the term cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. And then we got we got we got the Avengers and Captain America. For a lot of people, you know, they thought that was gonna be it. But uh, Marvel said, oh, we're we just getting started. Mm-hmm. And they put us on this course towards Endgame, which was the big, was making Thanos the bad guy. Whole cultural sensation. Yeah, Infinity War and Endgame. The and, snap. And then the MCU got snapped. For two reasons. One, Endgame ended. It was literally Endgame. And when Endgame ended... Marvel had to do an entire like course correction now because now it's we're no longer um, telling an epic story. Now we have to set up for a new one, or at least that's what they wanted to do. But then a pandemic happened, which completely changed the movie making and uh, theater industry like immediately. Mm-hmm. That snap gave us Disney Plus. Thanos snapped it into existence. Yeah, like he snapped some things away and gave us things at the same time. It gave us Disney Plus. Um, Disney and Marvel they they went all in on it. They gave they start they start giving us TV shows. It was already proven with through Netflix that original um, that was, episodic. That content, was like what was called like Phase Four, right? I I don't. The phases Those are out of control. Phases, yeah, okay. Because it well, used good. to be that phases that at the end of every phase, some like grand event would happen. But Marvel has just been almost arbitrarily changing phases. It doesn't feel like every phase is distinct anymore. I don't even know what phase we're in. Does it make sense? Sorry, continue. I, I got you off. Yeah, <laughs> but um, my bad. Like they, we got we got Disney Plus. They went all in on it, and they knew they knew it could work because Netflix does it. But they didn't want to do it. They wanted to do it their way. The way the way that they shoot these Marvel movies, like they said in the article, you get you get all the cool stuff. You shoot all the cool stuff and you make a trailer. Then you make the movie afterwards. There's so much to Yeah, okay. And that was fine. And they got by with their movies. Disney Plus, though, is a different beast altogether because they couldn't put as much money into these Disney Plus shows as they did with movies. Not because just because they didn't want to, though I'm sure the top brass of Disney did not want to invest many, many, many millions of dollars into what is a TV show. But also, it TV shows don't return that much as compared to movies. So they couldn't make as much money. So from a financial process, uh, uh, aspect, you just don't want to invest that much money. But that's what it costs when you like to fix, when you like to tell stories on the back end. When you want to use CG and post-production and reshoots to make your movies or your TV shows, that costs a lot of money. And Marvel, they can't, they're not, they're not going to pay all that for... Uh, secret invasion. They're not going to pay all that for whatever Loki season two is becoming. They're not going to pay all that for um, what's it called? The one we watched before Secret Invasion. Jesus, there's so many. She Hulk, Miss Marvel, all of them. Oh, okay. Ba- all of them. That's 
they've they've all these shows they've essentially been getting worse and worse since WandaVision because at first they were they were investing a lot into it because the pandemic made people sit in front of their screens and it made them watch these shows and these were still the most popular things on streaming now they're still popular but they're not that popular anymore and the critical reception has been horrible but they they don't want to they don't want to do things by the book they don't want to utilize writers the way they're meant to be utilized they don't want to use actors the way they're meant to be to utilize actors actors work their best when everything is highly organized and scripted out and they can play their parts but when they don't even know what they're doing. Marvel actors, they don't have a the full idea when they get these scripts. They don't ha- like they don't even they don't know what this is going to look like until it's done. Well, yeah, so I guess let me hop in too. My experience with Marvel is a little bit different. So, I know that like you and other, you know, friends of ours and stuff you're a pretty big Marvel fan, um, like of the comics as well. You have like some background in that. I know yeah. you've read a lot of those. Alex too, comics, Larry video as well. games. Um, I don't really. I didn't know anything about Marvel. I did not watch a lot of the movies when they were first coming out. Like I, I've never seen Iron Man. I haven't seen a single Iron Man movie. I've seen a couple of Avengers movies and like stray scant things when they would come out. That was pretty much my experience with Marvel up through like. Endgame or whatever. I didn't see Endgame. I saw Infinity War and I just didn't see the second part of it. So like that, that's like literally kind of where I am. So I made the decision a few years ago to start like kind of following this Marvel thing. So it's like seemed like people liked it and it was fun. Like whatever. So like I've seen pretty much everything in what I believe is Phase Four, where it's like I watched uh, Spider Man No Way Home, No Way Home, oh, okay. with the one had like the, the three Spider Man and stuff. And since then, I've pretty much watched every new like Marvel thing. I watched Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. I watched Thor, Love and Thunder. I watched um, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and Ant-Man. Um, and like I've been watching the, the Netflix shows, or not the, the Disney Plus shows. I watched like Moon Knight, Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, um, all that stuff. I didn't watch some of the so earlier ones. You didn't ones. see Shang-Chi then. Yeah, I didn't see Shang-Chi. So like I've got a bit of a mix of what I see, but I, my main thing with the Marvel stuff is I feel like they're just releasing too much content. Like, that honestly feels like it's what it is. It's like, there's always a new Marvel show kind of around the corner, and sometimes you watch them, and, like, the quality is mixed. I've liked some, and I haven't liked said the quality's mid? What was that? I mean, yeah, I would actually say that it averages at about mid, right? Like, some of the shows are pretty good. Um, Some aren't, like, I didn't really love Secret Invasion, but I thought Miss Marvel was fine. I didn't, um, I liked She-Hulk, but then, like, I feel like the ending kind of botched it. Um... You know, like, Moon Knight was all right, but it just feels like there's, like, so much content, and you're kind of expected to, I guess, consume all of it if you want to follow the overall universe. Like, I'm maybe... And, then like, now they've added this multiverse thing, and what it leads me to all believe... Because with the multiverse, it's, like... We talked about this once the other day. I feel like it's kind of a, a cop-out way of, like, writing a universe. Yes. Because, like, anything's, like, kind of technically canon if you want it to be, and if we kill a character off, we could bring him back, because it's just... There, remember, there was a universe where... Um, Iron Man didn't die. Like you could always just write that. Yeah, you can. Al- you can always, you can say, always say that, that it happened. And I think that when Endgame like kind of was the big cultural phenomenon, 
I kind of think it should have like ended there. Like that was kind of the end of the 2010s decade. Oh, you about to get cooked in the comments. And well, I think that that would have been a good time know, to end like the, the superhero movie decade and just be like, okay, we're just gonna do something else. But obviously, like I get it, Disney owns Marvel. They want content. They want money, and they have a streaming service. They want like everything to just go. So I think that's where they made the decision to just make a billion different shows and like all this stuff. And it's just, I feel like it's just too much. And you can sort of see that the quality begins to suffer for it. There's, but amidst all of this, the Marvel Netflix shows, that's where like Daredevil kind of originated was like a Marvel Netflix show always felt like they were like separate from all that Mm -hmm. when they were airing like, you know, 2015, 16, 17, you know, that stuff. Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, those good shows, maybe barring Iron Fist. I know people didn't like that too much. I didn't mind it, but Iron Fist season two was better than people know. But I like the Marvel Netflix shows. They were very separate from the MCU. Like oh, it, they had their Avengers, the Defenders. Yeah, like exactly. And I mean, I think that it was pretty good. Very ground level heroes, pretty gritty adulty stories. Not without like some of their issues, but Daredevil was pretty universally liked. I enjoyed it. Liked all three seasons. Good times. When they announced Daredevil: Born Again, I was already worried because I was like, okay. It's going to be a Disney Plus show, which probably means the tone's going to be a little bit different. And that's sort of what they were alluding to in like early interviews and statements was like, it's going to be a little bit more like family friendly and stuff. And I know people kind of like Daredevil's grittiness and like fight scenes. The first season of Daredevil was very family friendly. You know, rough fights and stuff like that. So I knew that that was already like kind of a a bit of a concern. Um, I just, I don't know. I mean, it sounds concerning that they just, they've thrown away like, maybe the first third or whatever of the show that's been, like, shot. I'm not surprised. So I don't know if they're going to, like, use any of that or what, like... Right now, the MCU feels very unorganized. It does. It's, uh... Like, early MCU has... It was such a simple formula, it felt like. Mm -hmm. You had Iron Man, you had Captain America. And everything kind of just was around them. We got Avengers... And they're like, oh, what's cool? You know, we have all these characters. Let's let's put them. Let's make civil war. Let's pit them against each other. It felt like it. T- it took very little work to get payoffs in the like characters they created, and then the interactions that you wanted to see. Mm-hmm. But now with uh, Disney Plus and all the content coming out, we're not getting payoffs anymore. But like, we keep expecting them, and so our expectations are building and building and building. Yeah, and it can't really come together. Okay, that's what it is actually is the fact that they're kind of trying to recapture lightning in a bottle, and I don't think it's something that you can really do twice. Because, like, the Infinity Saga, if that's, I think, is what they call it, like, just basically up through Endgame, like, Makes from sense. Iron Man to Endgame, like, the Infinity Saga, those three phases or whatever. I think they worked because it was the first time anyone had done that. It was very ambitious and mm-hmm. new for the time. At the end of every Marvel movie, you stayed and watched the post credit scenes. Like, Marvel popularized the post credit scene, yes. and it would allude to what you could kind of expect next. And so if you watched the movies in order, it felt like the stakes were building and you were learning more and like the world was like broadening and stuff like that. And it all kind of culminated and you got a payoff at the end. So the movie itself gave you a payoff just to its ending, but then it also gave you a reason to keep watching. And then it all kind of culminates in, in Infinity War and Endgame and everyone goes and sees Endgame. You go see it like three times in the theaters and everyone's talking about it. I only saw it once. And like... I think that now with this new saga where it's like supposed to be like the Kang dynasty or whatever, it, it feels like we're being told that that's going to happen again, but you can't experience something twice. I mean, you can, but like you can't do that excitement twice because now we're expecting it. And so it's like, I think that it keeps a lot of Marvel fans on the hook where it's like you kind of, 
it's going to be big guys. Like, don't worry, just wait. Like it's going to come, it's going to all like amount to something. But so far what I've seen is just like a bunch of stories that feel like filler arcs and they, they feel, feel like they're not, standalone. they feel kind of standalone with this weird attempt at implying that there's like a multiverse. So like it could sort of all mix, but like it hasn't really like, I mean, I was watching Thor and I was like, okay, this is a good, I don't, eh. And like, it just felt like kind of weird filler and like Dr. Strange kind of felt like weird filler and it just, I don't, it's like this weird mix of filler arcs and like winding down stories for characters. Mm-hmm. I know that there's kind of been this trend of trying to introduce younger characters into the Avengers, like right. the Miss Marvel types and like America Chavez. I know she was in the, you know, Dr. Mm-hmm. Strange. It's like, there's a little bit of that. Um, it's just a little bizarre. Like, I don't know if it just feels like it's disparate. Like they don't know. They're kind of throwing everything to the wall. See what sticks. Some movies, like I heard that the Ant-Man movie, like Quantum Mania, got like the ending got changed in the last month before it went out in theaters. Not a surprise. Yeah, like they reshot it and like re-edited everything. And so like it got like a different ending. And it just feels like what I'm hearing, like with the Daredevil thing too, is just like they can't ever quite decide exactly what they want. And so they just kind of like, oh, we'll just change course right now. And like, it's just so, so I... My understanding is that we're, like, kind of in the early to middle of, like, phase five. But, like, where are we headed, right? Like, I just I don't know. Let's, I mean, we can actually just look at what's come out, and you can just see there's a problem. Early MCU, the movies kind of work together to make, like, a pyramid. One block, one block, put a block on top, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, if I look at WandaVision. Mm-hmm. All right. WandaVision, uh, it connected to, let's say... It connected to Multiverse of Madness. It was, I connected think, to Multiverse of yeah. Madness. Um, it kind of it connected to Captain Marvel through one of its characters being in like the Marvel's movie. But that's... It's kind of like a phantom connection because this one character from WandaVision is just in that movie. It doesn't actually connect the two. Um, but, oh... Miss Marvels and is also she's in the Marvels. Um Yeah. It just kinda it just she just sees us in it, so it connects, but so okay, what else came out around that time? Oh, Moon Knight. Moon Knight can Yeah, then it just like Moon Knight feels very isolated. It's like, oh, okay, well okay, well She Hulk, surely. Uh She Hulk will connect to well, I mean, like, Daredevil Born Again. I suppose. Which yeah. hasn't come out yet, but it's already connected. Yeah, you know, um, reshooting it. And Kang is in which one of those? Uh, mm. Oh, uh, well, Loki. Loki. Loki's connected to... It feels mm. like they have this weird thing where, like, they are afraid to maybe commit to, like, an overall story because they just don't know. It's like a what will resonate, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we'll just sort of, like, do screen tests and just judge based on the popularity of things. So I get the feeling that with the infinity saga, they had a vision in place of kind of where it was supposed to end. I'm sure that that changed throughout, but like, it feels like there was more of a clear goal. Whereas like here, I'm just like, man, I don't know what is going on. Cause like, you've got half these characters who are new, half these characters who are like post end game and just kind of like in a midlife crisis. Like, I don't know what Thor is really doing. And like, and then you have like real world sort of things that are factoring in where it's like, okay, you know, they had to literally change the world of Black Panther yes. in a way. And then also, like, there's kind of the Jonathan Majors controversy where it seems like they're more hesitant to, like, maybe feature him. Like, I know there's, like, a lot of material. I'm sure they've already filmed with him. But 
like and then there's like weird delays some shows just like get kind of pushed back i horribly so you know blade is still not out yet yeah i know and so i just then there's the writer strike and i know that's not helping so it's like you know good for the writers not saying that like it's like a bad thing but just that it's you took away our marvel yeah i know i'd do without my next marvel show as their quality degrades um so I don't know. I mean, I I think like with Daredevil: Born Again, I know this is gonna sound this is like a very uneducated answer, but just get the people who did the original ones on Netflix, hire them back, and let them do another season. It's like I know they don't want to do that. I know there's like a, probably a billion reasons why they can't or won't, but like it's like they they know Daredevil. Like the people who worked on the original Daredevil, I feel like would be the best suited people to do it. I don't know. I mean, I feel like the main reason why they don't do that is actually just to be separate from the original. They kind of want yeah. to rebrand it a bit. It's like a soft reboot. Thing. It's all new, all different Daredevil. That's that's a Marvel Comics uh, reference. So I don't know. I wouldn't know. But, Some um, listener will. But um, they just want they just want to be to rebrand it. So they, they want to keep a bit of what made that show great. Uh, Charlie Cox and a few other actors. Not and, Karen Page and Foggy Nelson, yeah, apparently not, not in it. Even though they were beloved. Um, but they had to cut something so that they could try and be distinct and different. And it, I mean, well, I, I can't say it didn't work out. because We don't out. know, yeah. But just, um, it's this with these Marvel uh, TV shows and movies, it's really it's usually a really bad sign when they have to do like early reshoots and like rewrites. So, I mean, Thor had that happen and... Well, we love and thunder, which I enjoyed, but I enjoy Thor movies as nonsense. Like, yeah, I know generally I the plot. movie was pretty panned. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't look for plot in Thor movies. It's not a thing that I do. So I liked it, even if no one else did. Um, the thing is, I don't think I'm gonna look for that in Daredevil. I'm gonna want, you know, yeah, some, some. I don't know. I don't know what they got to do. I'm honestly, I mean. I'm going to watch most of it regardless. I've kind of gotten to a point where, like, I'll just watch these Marvel things as passive entertainment, whether they're good or bad or whatever. But, I mean, I do feel bad for, I think, fans who are maybe on the hook and wanting more or wanting it to feel like like it's leading up to something because it does feel like the quality is sort of slipping a bit. And um, I hope they can figure that out. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, I'll be completely real and honest. I think... I really think Marvel is done. I don't think we're ever going to get the payoff for this whole Kang Dynasty thing. Yeah, I don't. Whatever know they that give it will us, to... if we even reach the end, because I'm not even sure we're going to see the end of this arc. If we do, I don't think it's going to be it's very be... satisfying. Yeah, but I think it's more likely that we will just never see the end of the Kang Dynasty you're arc. A, you're a Marvel doomer, aren't you? It's mostly just because. Like it feels like One Piece. They're just pushing it as long as, but but the, even with One Piece though, like people always, no one really says that One Piece is like getting worse. It just goes. Yeah. With Marvel, it feels like it just goes and it's getting worse. Like it's, it's like getting the more scrambly. Between Marvel and One Piece, One Piece has been around for many many years, and it's it's. It's been fairly consistent. It has a large fan base. And as we recently learned, it will end. Marvel has not been consistent. Its fan base is clearly all over the place right now. And there is no distinct... We don't know where One Piece is for Marvel. We, we're like, 
Are yeah. we are we close right now? Are we hot or are we cold? Like I no one can tell me like when do we fight Kang? When do we where's our uh, yeah. end game? And I think that this multiverse thing isn't helping. I know this will be my, my last bit on this as well. Um as I read like some article the other day um that came out from like the people who worked on maybe Guardians 3 or something like that where they were just saying like the state of Marvel is basically that right now they are just they throw these movies out as like effectively focus groups, except they're movies and they will change anything at a moment's notice. Nothing is sacred. Characters will be cold and characters will be revived ad nauseum until like, and we just, we will see what audiences react best to. And that is what we will go with. So there was like some, someone said that about like, like Kevin Feige and the people who work on that, like they want to, at the end of Kang dynasty, there's like a rumor or something. They want to basically do something that's like a soft reboot where they just call a bunch of characters, like whatever characters weren't popular, goodbye. Whatever characters people liked, continue. And if they want like an old character back, we can write them back in. We will dig up graves, right? Oh, Tony Stark's back. He survived in that other, in the in this alternate universe, right? Like they will, whatever characters need to, because, and I think that that is like a Disney thing. I think that is, just, it's the content cycle where, we just need people to watch and we will give them what they want to watch. We will milk things for all their worth. We will dig up graves. If you like the character, they'll be back. If you don't, they're gone. And I mean, which is true to the Marvel Comics strategy. I mean, there's a reason why Wolverine is still alive, even though he's died yeah. a few times. So we'll see. I mean, like, I, I hope as someone who really liked the Daredevil show, I have my worries, especially hearing this new news. But we're going to be optimistic. They'll figure it out. It'll be great. It won't. Look, I'm sorry. I, after Secret Invasion, I can't be like optimistic about Marvel works. I'm going to watch them because I'm a Marvel fan. But as far as MCU works go, I don't have... I have... My expectations are in the gutter. Yeah, they're not high. Well, um, I guess that brings us to the pot. Oh, yeah. This, we've been at it for so long. I forgot. Yeah, so uh, we've got some new questions from you guys to open up. Oh yeah, by the way, I know we gotta show the pot at least once, so they know it's on still videos, here. So they know it's there. We're gonna to try to find a way to show it on screen uh, more often, but right now we're in a very it's a it's a, it's a small space. It's not well, yeah we'll we're figure we're, we're figuring we'll figure something out figuring things out. All right, I have a I have a question here. Okay, are you going to try uh, the Doctor Who set in Magic the Gathering? No. I don't play so, Magic the Gathering, but you do. My my answer to that question is who? Oh, you don't know very... Yeah, so I actually don't know much about Doctor Who. I know okay. very, very little. I know that there's a guy called the Doctor, or there's been multiple Doctors, and um, yeah, British. I mean, <laughs> I... Uh, I don't blame... I don't blame... I... I, I, I know it's like a lame question, answer to the question. I just, I don't play Magic. I mean, Larry right, well, probably what if will. Doctor Who but... was in Yu-Gi-Oh, would you play it? No, I still don't know about Doctor Who. I mean, I guess I'll play. Yu-Gi-Oh, but Yu-Gi-Oh would never get that. What Yu-Gi-Oh would get is just like a character loosely inspired, and they wouldn't like officially say it. Time Thief. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I mean, that's as close as I can get to a Doctor Who reference in it. Well, here's mine. Favorite Gundam and Yu-Gi-Oh models. I remember I read this question, um... Alec, you collect Gundam or Gunpla models, and uh, we've 
opened and put together like some Yu-Gi-Oh models, like from Bandai. So is it my favorite by like, like by like building experience or my favorite? I think you get to interpret it however you want. Oh, okay. Oh, hmm. I can only answer the Yu-Gi-Oh side of it. I think my favorite building experience. It feels like a lame answer. That's okay. It's your answer. Cause like my favorite, my favorite Gundam that I built was uh, the Hayaku Shiki, which isn't technically a Gundam, but it is a Gunpla. But I built the Hayaku Shiki as my first uh, Master Grade build, and it was my first. It, I found that build to be like fairly easy and fun because it, it turned out so nice. But it's not my favorite like Gundam. What's like, your favorite Gundam? Period. Like. Because I feel like my favorite Gunpla kit is probably the Master Grade EX uh, Strike Freedom. I don't own one because it's too expensive, and I probably wouldn't build it. But I just think it's a really, really, really cool kit. It's like the coolest kit ever. But um, Okay. And then as far as uh, the Yu-Gi-Oh goes, I mean, we've only built one Yu-Gi-Oh model, right? Well, two. We put together the Millennium Puzzle, and then we did the Exodia one recently. I didn't really count the puzzle. The puzzle was a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a... Model kit because like the mod the like the the like you had to like snap the plastic the modeling off. part was simple. It took very little time to put the pieces together. It well, was, it took a very little time to take them out of their things. Like putting like assembling the pieces was easy. It was assembling the puzzle. That I found that that was my, was my favorite nightmare. part. We did that. It was like an eight hour long stream. Hated you that. can find it on the main Team APS channel. I don't like that. Um, Didn't like yeah, it that one was a fun time. I found the Exodia one was. Clearly. The Exodia one was more like just putting together like a gumball. Yeah, model. I like the Exodia. It was fun. Um, Pretty easy. The pieces were quite large, but um, yeah. But now we're getting a Zeus, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, is the Zeus from Bandai? I'm pretty sure it is. It probably is. Yeah, like it. I know there are non-Bandai model kits out there, but um, Bandai kind of has the whole model like thing on lock, like sure. stranglehold. Well, um, yeah, as for me, I think the Millennium Puzzle was probably my favorite to put together. I, I've only put together, like, one Gunpla model, and it was, like, an SD, so. Hey, man, I love SDs. That's my uh, favorite type of, that's my favorite grade. Simple or easy. Um, next to Master Grade, though I think real grades are the um, perfect grade. They just take too long for me to build. All right, what do I have here? What Yu-Gi-Oh crossover would you like? Now, we were just talking about crossovers not too long ago. I want my little no. Um, a crossover for Yu-Gi-Oh. What would I like to see on a Yu-Gi-Oh card? So I guess this is like similar to how, like how you know, Magic does. Magic does crossovers. so many. There's well, a in the unlikely event that Yu-Gi-Oh ever gets to really have something like that. They did Power Pro Baseball, like Master Duel. They did, but I have no connection to Power Pro or anything. Like I just have no connection to it. Um. I mean, like, you know, is it sad that as a Yu-Gi-Oh player, I'm just so desperate. I'll take anything. Like, I don't even think that I would, like, I don't think that I would really even have, like, a, I just want to see Yu-Gi-Oh do a crossover. I'll take just about anything they do. As for what feels like it would kind of fit within Yu-Gi-Oh's ethos today. See, today, see, modern Yu-Gi-Oh makes that harder. When I think about, yeah. when I think about the crossover, I'm th- I kind of think of it from like my, my favorite Yu-Gi-Oh aesthetic, which is the older, dark, kind of grimy kind of aesthetic. Thing. And for that, I really like the idea of a, of a Lord of Rings collab. I oh, know yeah. Magic's already done it. However, Magic, Wizards, Orcs, Monsters, Trolls, like, 
That's pretty. That's pretty old Yu-Gi-Oh, right? Like, it might be hard to visually distinguish. That's elves. What do you mean? Well, I mean, like people might not really feel like they're any different than like a regular monster. Well, but that's that's the beauty of it. But then it's like instead it's of like for the people who are like instead of marauding captain, it's Aragorn, and instead of uh, the Celtic guardian, it's Legolas. Um, instead of uh, the Judge Man, it's Gimli. You don't know some, these characters. I'm going to farm some uh, comments here and say maybe they should make him black if they do. Oh my god! So I just I whatever, mean, I have no it's problem. It's so funny you bring that up and you just get free comments. Like people just people got a comment. It's black it's, Aragorn for you, yo. It's, imp- it's impressively controversial. Yeah, I don't. I don't have any actual opinion on it. Okay, let's see. If I was to pick something for you to cross over with today. That feels like relatively likely. I would not be surprised if they did something with like. <sighs> Why didn't Genshin Impact come to my mind? Ugh. I don't like. I don't want that. Oh, but it wait, feels like something that they work. Would, but like they do so many like kind of waifu, like kind of archetypes, and like it just it feels and like there's just more like more Yu-Gi-Oh monsters Honestly. these days feel like they're like anime protag energy. Like Apollosa feels like. It could have been a Genshin character. <laughs> yeah, so, like, would I like that? Uh, Ash Blossom could have been a Genshin character. But, like, yeah, like, it, it kind of has Div the incarnate. same... It has the same, like, energy to it, right? Well, like, any one of the Dragon Maids. Or what they could do, because, like, it's Shueisha, is, like, get one of those Shueisha things that, like, they own. Like, One Piece or My Hero, Dragon Ball. Like, in theory, these things could be... I just don't like those for Yu-Gi-Oh. I don't either, but, like, like, I mean, if it has to be, like, a crossover, like, like, kind of thing. For modern Yu-Gi-Oh, I think you gotta do either Mecha, Waifu, or, um, or Dragons. dragons. Yeah. I think, though, that... And there's not really, like, a, a property that does, like, a lot with... What was that show? What was the, Game of Thrones? Yu-Gi-Oh! X Game of Thrones. Didn't they have dragons in that? I mean, y- yes, they had dragons in Game of Thrones. Okay, I didn't watch it, so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, I just thought, like, because Yu-Gi-Oh! They even had dragons, a blue-eyes so. zombie dragon. So, yeah, that could be... I mean, Game of Thrones isn't, like, as popular right now. Like, it's not really, like, running. There's that spin-off thing, but, like... It was good. Uh, that was House, House of the, the Dragon. dragon. It was yeah, pretty, see, House of the it Dragon. Was it, was, it was solid. All right, here's the next question. What's our stance on Konami printing busted cards that will get banned down the line? So, I know I've ranted about this before. Well, time to rant again. I I mean, listen, you know, don't no, get what? me started. No, I'm taking the high ground here. Um, I think it's just kind of necessary at this stage in the game. With Power Creep being the name of the game here. The only way to make a card, make us buy cards after a Rise Heart or after Kit Kalos and all the TR elements is to make something even more crazy. And we saw what yeah. had to happen to those two archetypes in order for the, them us to move on. All right, so I'm going to retread some old ground here and say that Yu-Gi-Oh! is in desperate need of alternative formats, blah, 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 blah. Particularly a rotation format would be an interesting thing to try out. Is it the solution to everything? No. Is it something that could still be cool for Konami to try? Yes. So, uh, with that all out of the way, I think because none of that exists and it's unlikely it ever happened because Konami moves pretty slow with these Yu-Gi-Oh changes, that's why they have to just make strong cards because strong cards are what, like, push things forward absent of a rotation. So, like, because there is not a way to ensure that we will necessarily stop playing certain old cards outside of just player tastes kind of changing, 
Konami has simply decided, well, screw it. We're just going to make something that's so strong you kind of have to play it. And, and ban the other ones. And we'll also like kind of lightly ban and like tweak and you know, whatever. Or in some cases, we don't even have to really ban a lot of them. We just creep, right? Like that's what Tiarlaments and Kashtura did. And like Sprite when it was released as well. Like Sword Soul and Branded were like the big decks at the time. And like the Brave engine. Got and slapped around. They didn't even have to, they didn't have to really ban any of their cards. They just released new archetypes that were just so overwhelmingly more consistent more powerful, more just, like, high ceiling, whatever, that it, it kind of did the job for them. And, like... And I just want to bring up, once again, the moment Arise Heart got banned, Tear Decks crept up again. Yeah, like, it's very... I mean, I don't... Do I like it? No. It doesn't matter what you think, because this, rea- this is the reality yeah, of the situation. I mean, listen, they... Well, they asked what I think, so... I guess they, they did They ask. care. Okay, I, that's fair. All they I can say ask. is, I don't love it. I don't think it's, like, a great... Um, I don't think it's a great practice, because I think that there's a better solution in, in just doing rotation, so you don't have to make, like, extremely powerful cards. I think you could just make strong cards that are creatively strong in new ways, but not, like, just we're going to load up as many effects onto a rise heart as we can. Right. Or whatever. So to answer the question, no, I don't like it. Um, I think that it kind of reeks of this game has gotten out of our ability to control it. Mm -hmm. So we are just kind of just rolling with it. Like we're going to just release something stronger, make you play that. And then we'll make like some new staple, right? A Nibiru, a Dark Roller, a Droplets, a Lightning Storm, and evenly whatever it takes that, like, kind of lets us Band-Aid fix it, where it's, like, there's something strong here, but it's okay because, like, there's, like, something that is, like, your answer to it, but the answer to it is also obscenely strong in its own right and is really only counterable by the other strong thing, and, like, now you have these two strong things, but in the process, everything that came before them or everything in a lower tier than them is, like, completely suffering... Because, you know, Little Jimmy's Fun Deck can't really deal with Nibiru. Little Jimmy's Fun Deck can't deal with Evenly Matched. Little Jimmy's Fun Deck doesn't really, like, play nice with, like, all these other... So, and he can't play when Arise Heart's out. (laughs) So, I mean, he can't activate half of his cards because it advances everything. So, it's... I don't like it, but I will try to take a positive look at it and say what you said. They gotta release them so you keep buying, and it keeps the game... Fun, exciting, yay! But unlike the MCU, I do think uh, Konami and Yu-Gi-Oh will change at some point. I don't. This won't go on forever. It will change. I don't know how it will change and in what way. It could actually get worse, but it could get better. But no one knows when that's gonna be. Yeah, uh, I guess maybe for the thirtieth anniversary. Yeah, in five years I'll solve this. Um. (laughs) Um, so i mean my last little bit that i'll add is because we know the shareholders have said some stuff about it i think that we'll see some structural changes sooner than we might have otherwise seen it'll be trickle down changes yeah like it's Yu-Gi-Oh, so don't expect any changes anytime super soon but maybe by like the end of next year let's say we might be beginning to see like some shifts in like product design and like card design we might get something like a some weird so alt for format. our 25th anniversary. Yeah, when that lines up. So, I don't know. But that is my answer to the question. And that means 
the pot of greed is winding down. That's right. We've drawn our two cards each. So hopefully you guys enjoyed the 25th episode. It was a lot of fun. Um, some really good questions and some really cool stories. Uh, Got some stuff off. I'm sure I'm going to hear about it in the comments. A little bit of a Marvel rant, but hey, I, I'm here for it. I, I, I didn't think we'd talk about MCU, but if you guys like these sorts of stories, maybe we can certainly chat a little bit more about just general geek culture. And we're, to be we're, clear, we're, we're not experts on much of anything. Yeah, we're not experts. We're just sharing opinions. I would love to hear anybody's um, more informed insights on any of the stories we talked about, particularly or the stuff least, around. Like, or at least the legion of you who at least think you're more informed. Yeah, or that. Um, I mean, you know, like for people who do play Magic the Gathering, like I don't. So I don't know like what, say, that new play booster or whatever is like going to be like. So like, please inform me. Um, so yeah, pretty much it. Then we'll see you guys in the next one. Pass turn. turn.